have always been a light sleeper. Always. One night, while I was asleep like any other normal sixth-grade girl should be, I awoke to a soft yet raspy snicker. My brain was instantly alert to the unfamiliar voice, but my instincts demanded I remain still with my eyes closed even though I felt... No, I knew I was not alone. My mind raced. Did someone break in? Where's mom? What am I going to do? But my instincts answered yet again. Whatever you do, give them hell. I could feel that my braids were covering my face, so I decided to risk taking a peek. At the very least, I needed to see what I'm fighting off, fleeing from, or what might be about to kill me. Carefully and slowly, I opened my eyes ever so slightly, and through my woven tresses, I saw it. Outlined in darkness and laced in the glow of streetlight shining through my window, stood something that will forever be seared into my mind. Eyes black as obsidian, jagged teeth exposed through a twisted smile, and massive, gnarled hands that had to be twelve inches from tip to wrist. Hands that were slowly and deliberately reaching out towards me. Within seconds of seeing it, I bolted upright, ready to scream. But just like that, it was gone. I scanned the room while still glued to my bed. Nothing. What had I just seen? A creature? A demon? The actual boogeyman? Well, whatever it was, it won't get the jump on me twice, I thought. So for the remainder of the night, I kept watch, unmoved from the spot in my bed until the gentle light of dawn relieved me of my terror-filled vigilance and I could finally sleep. Thank God it was Saturday and I could sleep in. My mother and grandmother had gone to run errands by the time I got up, so I was left alone in the house. Good, I thought, because I didn't want to have to explain my following actions. I grabbed our small bottle of holy water, and true to my Catholic upbringing, I doused every damn entry point in holy water. The doors, the windows, and even under my bed for good measure were damp from my cleansing barrage. And every night thereafter, I said my prayers before going to sleep. Hi, I'm Jamie Markey. And I am a jittery Michael Tatum. Jittery. 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 It might be, it's not... I like jittery. To be fair, it's not just the story, though that didn't help. It was also maybe the coffee. We had a lot of coffee. I had a lot of coffee. French press. <laughs> it's my favorite press. Um, so much easier than a bench press or a leg press. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, and this is Ghoul Intentions. Yes, welcome. Today's episode we are calling Crime and Punishment. Punish- <laughs> Crime. And punishment. punishment. Or at least in one case it's crime. And punishment. Uh, <laughs> and we obviously, the, the title comes from the famous Dostoevsky novel of the same name about a crime that gets punished. So we are telling two stories, mm-hmm. and uh, they're in this case today, they both involve hauntings that uh, happen as the result of a 
crime or crimes. Perhaps. Perhaps. Definitely crimes were involved. Definitely punishments were involved. Whether or not those two things are related to the same person, you'll just have to listen and see. True. So, you're already here. You might as well stick around. Grab yourself a drink, a mule. Today, we're actually not drinking mules. We're drinking mimosas. Mimosas. We thought we'd we'd change it up a little bit. That's right. We're having a good time. Why not? It's Saturday morning. Saturday morning. It's ghost stories. You can drink whatever you want. That's right. It is your life. It's your your mug. Uh, By the way, thank you, Crystal. For that submission, that terrifying, horrifying It was really good and submission. beautifully rendered, too. I have to yes. say, I, I will say the thing that stuck out to me the most of that is is the idea that she was thinking to herself, like, well, something's here. I might as well give it hell. Right. You know? I love that. I but, love And that's her that. instincts are like, you better start fighting. Fierce. That's fantastic. Hey, feisty ones tend to survive. What do you think it was? Oh, God, who knows? Something I don't want to see when I wake up right. in the middle of the night. Yeah. This terrifying. Well, and there's always that thing... That's in the back of your mind that makes you wonder, is this real or did I just dream it and I woke up in the middle of the dream or is it the sleep paralysis Mm. type of thing? Could be. But, you know, either way, better safe than sorry. Whatever, if that's holy water or sage water or whatever it is, burning sage or whatever you do. And and I'll say two things about it. On the one hand, you know, if it is, I'm of the belief that when we have experiences like that, that mm-hmm. it's of two parts. There, there might be details that we put there that our mm-hmm. imagination kind of dresses up what's actually there because what's there is kind of beyond our comprehension. And so the human mind is all too happy to dress it up with something that, albeit terrifying, is at least recognizable. Right. Like you're like, that's a weird distorted hand, but it's a hand, you know? So that may not be what whatever it was looked like. I'm not saying that the person was imagining the whole experience, just that there are elements of the experience that need our imagination in order for our brain to kind of lock onto them. Yeah. And, uh, and whether or not holy water, if that's your thing, if that's not your thing, like whatever you believe in, like if you are vested in that belief, I feel that it has, it works. It has power if you, you believe know, in it. Right? Whatever, whatever yeah. your creed, whatever your, your spiritual beliefs are. What's yours? What do you do? Is I'm, it I'm, sage or? Uh, no, I kind of, I've developed my own little do rituals you pee over the years. in all of your corners, Michael? You claim your space with actual urine from your body? Well, you mean like generally or when I haunted? <laughs> when I you're mean, protecting your house, do you do it with your own urine? N- not anymore. Um... <laughs> I mean, because I, you know, it's all you have to, all it took was one time of not getting my deposit back. And I'm like, okay, there's got to be a better way. Not worth Um, it. No, No, I have my own little protection rituals when I think, uh, when I think something's afoot that I don't want in there. I have, I have certain things I do. And I think I just kind of, I I didn't really, I kind of partly made them up, partly kind of just drew from, from history. I'm like, oh, that's, that's like cool. I just kind of, I have a very cherry pick approach. Hmm? Why not? That's my yeah, it's all there, and it worked for some people. So, but the trick is, you got to believe it. Like, you really yeah, have to. You, have to you really have to be work. invested, or it's not going to do jack right. shit. Is is my thinking anyway? I just like to believe in everything, so one of those things should work. It's hedging your bets. There's that's nothing right. wrong with that. Nothing it's wrong with it. That's what things get complicated. Exactly. I'm sure everyone hedges our bets. That's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, so you are going first today. Yes, I'm going first, and it is a story that. Oh my god. Man, this is another one I thought I knew. And, and we then... discussed this ahead of time, and I wanted you to cover it because I didn't want to have to say the, her name. 
Oh, and just to be <laughs> clear, I'm probably going to I'm probably going to say her name every way it can be said except enjoy the right it, one. Enjoy it. So, um, listeners, play, make a drinking game out of it. If you have your mules ready, or your, or in this case, your mimosas, every time I, I say the name Lalaurie, La a different ray, a different ray. See, I can't even say words now. Like I can either get the name right, and the normal words around it are going to go off, or. <laughs> What, okay, what's her name? La Lori. She's she's known as Madame uh, La Lori or La Lori or La Lori. I would oh. imagine because it's a French. It's a name of French extraction. Madame La Lori. Madame, but it's it's spelled L A L A U R I E. Oh, Lori, like from Oklahoma. La Lori. Yeah, it's so it looks like La <laughs> Lori. That's another one. Maybe she's maybe the it's La Lori. Uh, so this is a story about Madame La Lori and the La Lori. Mansion in New Orleans, which still stands, which is still there. You can yeah. still see it. It's I have seen it. It's on a major corner, right? Uh, it's on a major corner. It's a mm-hmm. it's a huge house, especially for the city in the French Quarter. It takes up most of a block. And it has like a really one. cool balcony, right? Doesn't it? It has several. Yeah. And a cool Spanish courtyard. And it wraps around and all that shit. Yes. Yes. And it's it's been so many things over the years. Uh, she built it. She had it built. Mm-hmm. And and then of course, after, well, we'll get into that. So mm-hmm. the story is. The story most people know about it, if you know anything about haunted history or just true crime, was that uh, Madame Lalaurie was accused. She was a very wealthy woman, a very uh, very wealthy Creole socialite in New Orleans in the uh, 1700s, from a very powerful, very rich family, very connected family. And uh, the story was that you know she uh, essentially tortured, killed, mutilated, did medical experiments on uh, her poor poor slaves. Right. And if you've seen any ghost hunting stories mm-hmm, or like mm-hmm. murder ghosty type stuff, she's almost always covered in any show that yeah, you see. Yeah. Yeah, she's sort of America's version of Countess Bathory. Oh, right. Uh, in okay. some ways. And there and Bloody Mary. Bloody, Bloody Mary. La Lori. Yeah. Well, and so <laughs> So uh, she's she's a character in uh, one of the seasons of um, American Horror Story. I think it's season three, Coven. She's a character in Kathy Bates plays Kathy her, Bates right? plays her, and it's fascinating. So the 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 story, and if you ever go on a ghost tour in New Orleans, which I highly advise because they're really really slick, mm-hmm. uh, they tell you the story of Madame Lalaurie. They take you by the house. I don't know that you can go in anymore because I think it's privately owned property now, or it may have been converted to apartments. I know when I went, Nicholas Cage owned the house. Oh, I think and I was heard in that foreclosure or it was in bankruptcy at the time, so he had to sell it in turn. He did what Nicolas Cage does to everything. (laughs) (laughs) He turned it into a national treasure? Right. He gets a lot lot of attention for no real reason, and then it totally tanks. Oh, there's a reason. Don't you want to pay attention (laughs) to that? Like, it's it's almost criminal that he has work. Anyway, so... (laughs) But that hair toss, though. That hair toss, though. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, but the story of Madame Lalari is actually far more complicated and involved and far more uh, controversial. It's not, again, kind of like some of the other stories we've explored on this. It's not what we've been told. The official story is rarely even even a fraction true. Now, there is some truth. Is this an actually story? Partly. Partly and actually. It's only partly. She certainly did... Uh, well, I shouldn't even say certainly. She more than likely did some of the things she was accused of doing. And there are certain elements of the story that are true. Like, some of it, it, it seems like the story at most has been embellished over the centuries rather than mm-hmm. just created out of whole cloth. So let me get into her story, because it is a very interesting one, even before we get to 
the crimes and the, the, the hauntings that, that have plagued the house and that property mm-hmm. for, you know, 200 years now. Okay, well, it's getting serious, everybody, because Michael just took off his glasses yeah. to read his notes. <laughs> Not sure how that works. I, I'm, I'm farsighted, so I really only need my glasses <laughs> to see you. Oh, and now uh, I'm not important? No, well, it's not that you're not important. It's just, you know what, I... <laughs> it's okay. You're so read much your a part of me that I don't need to see you <laughs> to remind myself that you're there. I can just feel your presence. I can feel your facial expression, even if it's blurry. The bullshit um, is strong with this one. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> so, Madame uh, Lalari was... <clears throat> she was born in uh, 1787. Okay. In New Orleans, uh, March 19th, if anyone cares, to celebrate her birthday. I don't know why you would. Uh, she was born uh, uh, Marie Delphine McCarty, or McCarthy. There's various spellings, which mm. was very common back in the day. She, uh, her father was a guy named Louis Bartholomew de McCarty, or McCarthy, and he was the son of an Irishman who brought the McCarty clan over uh, from... McCarty. 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 Yeah, <laughs> McCarty. It's easier when you say it like you're a leprechaun. Ah, you know? <laughs> oh, me lucky charms. Uh, so, <laughs> Grandpa McCarty brought brought the whole lucky charms clan over from Ireland uh, through France. There's a French connection there, too. There was, there was uh, strong ties. The family was French and Irish. And uh, they there was came a over. A lot of gesturing and cheese. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of great food <laughs> and, <laughs> and drinking. drinking. And a lot of, and you, temperamental. Um, <laughs> temperamental people. No, I don't, no. They just throw bread at each other. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so not fair. Anyway, <laughs> so uh, they, he brought the family over to uh, uh, Louisiana, to New Orleans, in that area during the French colonial period because it was a big boom. And mm-hmm. that, the, the McCarty, the McCarty or the McCarthy clan were very, very prominent socialites, very powerful, very connected family. And uh, this is all very Lestat times, too, right? Uh, well, sort of. Okay. Kind of, yeah, sure. We'll say the this vampire is, Lestat for those well, who more don't like, know more like the we'll random say, shit yeah. I'm talking right, about. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, this gets us kind of random because we're talking like late 17th, late, late 18th, early 19th century. Yeah, that's what that's okay. So, uh, so Delphine. Um, who would later become Madame Lalari? She she was married three times. She was widowed twice. Get it, girl. Oh, she did. Uh, <laughs> she did. Oh man, when I tell you how fucking rich this woman was, you're gonna shit a brick. I'm ready. I'm uh, ready. For so, it. well, let's get, get let's let's take a, let's take a little journey first about her life. So, uh, she got married on June 11th, 1800, to a guy. I love this name, Don Ramon de Lopez Angulo. Uh, right. That's, I mean, that's a, that's a name. That's mm. a name you got to mm-hmm. live up to. He was actually a military guy from Spain. He was what's called a Caballero de la Royal de Carlo, which was basically, um, a consort, not consort. That's not the word. That's totally that's not what hooker. he was. Um, he wasn't uh, a sex I mean, worker. We don't say hooker sex, anymore. Oh, sorry. Well, back then they would have said hooker. Um, no, they would have said, they would have said consort. He was not a consort. He was, he was, uh, in the, he's basically the Imperial guard okay. of, of the Spanish king. Whatever that time. word is. And, uh, so she married him. They got <laughs> married at the St. Louis Cathedral. <laughs> Sorry. Words are difficult. Mimosa. Mimosa! <laughs> Look, I'm trying to get her name right. I can't focus on You're all doing, the little words. You are doing an excellent <laughs> job. Keep it up. So they got they got married, and four years later, he got promoted in the Spanish court and was called back to Madrid. Okay. So pack your shit, Delphine. We're, we're going to go live. Yeah, we're going to go live in Spain. See. 
in, in the royal court because that was going to be part of his job. So they set sail for Madrid and they had to stop off in Havana, Cuba, which was then a Spanish colony. Okay. Uh, it was just right. kind of part of the way. Now, in Cuba, in, in uh, Havana, she gave birth to her first daughter, uh, a girl named uh, Marie or Marie. Uh, and at the same time, uh, Ramon, her husband, died. <gasps> We don't know how he died. There's no real record of it. Um, I mean, it was a time when he probably could have been any number of things, disease, uh, whatever. I mean, he was a young guy, so presumably he didn't die of, of, you know, the afflictions of age. I'm pretty sure it was Lestat. Maybe. (laughs) And at least one report I read said she wasn't present for his death. So uh, she found out about it later. Like they were. So I don't. There's a whole. But again, this is this is 200 plus year history. The records are lost. And there's just so there's there's so little data. We just have kind of the bullet points, which leaves so much up to questions. We have no idea how uh, Ramon died. Uh, but he did. She now had uh, a daughter by him, mm-hmm. and so she had to move back to New Orleans, uh, presumably bereft, and now having to kind of rely on her family and what have you. So in June of uh, 1809, several years later, she married a guy named uh, Jean Blanc. It's a great name, Jean Blanc. John White. John, pretty much, yeah. Okay. Didn't White he marry White. Pocahontas? He, maybe. Well, he married. Well, I guess this was his last marriage. Um <laughs> foreshadowing. Do tell, Michael. Now, he was pretty loaded. He was a banker and a merchant, a lawyer and a legislator, so again, well-connected. I mean, she she tended to marry pretty well, Mm -hmm. uh, because that, and again, that's a testament to how loaded her father's family, the McCarthys, were, and how connected and how important they were. Bear all this in mind, because this had this plays a lot into why what happened later became so famous. Okay. Uh, so she she had several more children by him. And it's funny, I'm just going to read you the children's name. She had three more daughters and a son by him. And it's like, <laughs> the names are Marie-Louise Pauline, Louise-Marie-Laurie, uh, Marie-Louise-Jean, and Jean-Pierre Pauline Blanc. Now, right. so it seems to me like they the had entire... four names to choose from, and they just kind of <laughs> scrabbled like, it. They just used And we're all. like, let's fuck it. We're going to do this. Now, this was also at a time where it was very common to, like, it was tradition considered good fortune for the family if, if all the children were named after relatives. Uh, right, yeah. Like, ancestors. Well, and also, you, you overname because, you know, the mortality rate was pretty high for babies. <laughs> so, you know, you don't want to waste a good name. Well, that... That, but that feels like that is wasting a good name. If the mortality rate is high, just give them one name because, and then maybe give well, them I mean, more if, names as they get older. Like well, maybe no, they I get mean, a name. Just, maybe they get a name per year alive. Oh, that makes sense. And so I they like ha- it. so they have incentive to survive. I like it. What I was saying though is that you keep <laughs> reusing good names so that you know at least one of them is probably going to make it. This it's really funny. So all these kids have all these names and they live and they're going like we're all we all have the same name because our parents did not expect any right. of us to survive. This is where <laughs> this is my brother Daryl and this is my other brother Daryl. <laughs> it's from the Bob Newhart show. Everybody who oh, knows I what I'm talking that. about. I love Newhart. Or maybe it was just Newhart. I, I think it was Newhart. Yeah, the Newhart. Bob Newhart show was the one where he was like a he was living in the city and the Newhart was where he had the bed and breakfast yes, in the little yeah. podunk town. It's such a good show. I is love that it. on Netflix yet? It needs Someone to be. get on. Someone that. get on that. It's so good. Bring Newhart. To Netflix. <laughs> and if you don't know what we're talking about, just skip that just, part. It's okay, fine. so. So this, she married him in, in 1809, and a few years later in 1816, Blanc died. Now, just like first Habib Ramon, we have no records of how he died. Seven year itch. Um, seven, year, seven year death. Um, <laughs> but this was a time when, you know, disease was pretty rampant. You have to understand, too, the climate in New Orleans is very humid. So a lot of uh, communicable diseases thrived, right. uh, throve, rather, and, and at the time, malaria was a huge problem 
the plague was a problem for a time there. So it's very moist. Yeah. So <laughs> very moist climate, very hot. Yeah. And uh, with the clothes everyone had to wear because the fashion flooded was, a lot. was it did it flooded all the time. So who knows? We don't know Still how he does. died, but there's no you know if. I, if what she is accused of doing later had not come to light or not become a thing, um, I don't think we'd suspect her. I don't think she had anything to do with her husband's death. Uh, people now, just died a lot. People died. They didn't live very long back then. And I think he was a little older than she was. Unlike her third husband, Uh-oh. who was significantly younger. Okay. Now, so, uh, so for years, she just was the Widow Blanc. And she was known as Madame Blanc in town. And uh, she was the still... The white widow. The Hashtag white bitches are white! <laughs> blanc bitches. Bitches is a blanc. Bitch de blanc. <laughs> um, I like it. <laughs> so on June 25th, uh, 1825, Delphine that's married her... Birthday. Really? June 25th. He was Sorry. born in 1825? He was not. <laughs> okay, I was going to say, damn. But June 25th is... Oh, well, so June 25th, 1825, she married her third husband. A, I'm going to put this in quotes, physician named uh, <laughs> named Leonard uh, Louis Nicholas Lalari, and um, it's probably I'm probably pronouncing it wrong. It's probably something Leonard Louis Nicholas Lalari. That sounded perfect. It probably like it's probably sounds like someone hurling into a bedpan. Very French. So, <laughs> so he was now he was he was a physician, but by modern standards, we'd probably refer to him more as like a chiropractor. His specialty was like spinal alignment, oh. and it just so happened that they met because Delphine, Madame uh, Delphine's uh, daughter, one of her daughters, uh, had spinal issues, had a curvature of the spine, and so she brought. Uh, her to this doctor frequently to try to um, for basically occupational her therapy, out. and it didn't do much good for her apparently. But this is back in the day when like some of the shit this guy he was using looks like torture devices. I oh, mean, it was even crazy. now you see some of the things. And, but um, here's what's kind of freaky about all that is that here she is subjecting her her poor daughter who probably has scoliosis or right. some variation of that. And rickets. Is, and yeah, <laughs> rickets. It's just a fun word to say, isn't it? Is. It? Not to not, have. Not to have, just but to, to say. say. <laughs> so, uh, so here she is coming to these appointments on, on the regular, kind of subjecting, watching this man, this uh, presumably handsome young doctor, like I think 15, 20 years her, her oh. junior, um, Hello, subject, her, subject her daughter to these torturous uh, therapies. And it didn't do a damn bit of good, but they fell in love. Well, um, Delphine and this this uh, this doctor Lalari guy. So they got married. And some people say that there was a rumor going around that he got her knocked up, and so like he had to make an honest woman out of her. But also, like, what's great though is that it's really nice that this uh, her daughter's painful spine issue had a reason. It had a purpose after all. Hashtag blessed. Blessed. <laughs> nice? You know though that like religiously speaking, back then. And now, depending upon where you are, uh, that is such a fucking thing. Like, oh, well, I, you know, this person suffered greatly, but that is so they could bring these other two people together. And it's like, I'm pretty sure that's yeah. a terrible reason to suffer. It's like, it's like the tsunamis <laughs> struck Japan when they did so that Star Jones would have a story to tell about almost being there. Right. And yes, thank exactly. God she has the hashtag. And now blessed. she has that story. Shit pisses me off yeah. so much. Anyway, anyway so <laughs> so there was rumors that they you got her knocked off. Whatever. Point is, they married, and he married up because she was fucking wealthy, and uh, he was a physician. And physicians back then didn't make the kind of money they do now. Right. Um, uh, well, and he was a chiropractor. 
Yeah, he was a bone cracker. So uh, <laughs> I bet he was. <laughs> he was Hello, Larry. <laughs> <laughs> Their bed had a roll bar installed, so if it flipped over, nobody got hurt. Um, <laughs> it's, no, I just see this bed. That's what a canopy bed was really about. Really it was about. safety it was just in case. for sex passion. That's why. That's sex passion. <laughs> Is that all one word? Sex passion. Sex passion. Sex passion. I just... <laughs> Sidebar. I just read this article about <laughs> about why it's dangerous to dance and that uh, it it it's this whole like I'll have to show it. To it was you. like a it's religious reason like it's dangerous to dance. Because why you should it, it, it's, it takes you to the devil and it takes you away from God and you're too close to another person. And if two people of the opposite sex dance, why it inflates their sex passion. It's always sex passion as opposed to like passion of the Christ, passion, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> so, passion. so it's sex passion. Um, sex passion. And it's very, God, it's the most ridiculous uh, article. I guess some guy was like at his parents for Thanksgiving or whatever and he found it folded into the Bible. You can find it online. Oh it's my God. So funny. That was the old joke my dad used to tell of like, why don't, why don't Baptists dance? Or why don't wonder why don't Baptists uh, fuck standing up <laughs> because people would think they're dancing. Oh, nice! My, <laughs> my grandpa would say, uh, "Oh, Baptists don't drink together." <laughs> this, this whole thing. It was just really funny. Okay, so they're not dancing there, but they are yeah, standing yeah, up so, with children, right? And, so their bed has a roll bar on it. Oh, um, which is why so I want this to become like an official part of the story. Now that we're going to hear on ghost tours, like so their 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 sex was so hot, it was so crazy. They had a roll bar. She had the first roll bar ever installed <laughs> on a canopy bed. Um, it was very traditional to have bedrooms on the fourth or third floor, but no, theirs had to be on the ground floor because it's, it's structural damage of the bed um, rolling. Yeah. <laughs> like, what are you doing? There is some some monkey shit going on in that bed. There's some <laughs> trapeze acts, whatever. Um, some Cirque du Soleil fucking. Hello, Laurie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, ooh la la, Laurie. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is terrible. This is terrible. Okay, so, so they have their so roll bar. They got so they got they got married, and um, he married up because he. Was was basically a kept man after that. Like he, she was wealthy as fuck. Yeah. So much. It is actually estimated that at, at peak wealth, her assets exceeded that of the United States motherfucking treasury. Wow. And that yeah. was like real gold at the time. That's that when was gold like was real gold. Real fucking gold. Yeah. I mean, they had money. Okay. So. In 1831, she brought the uh, she bought the property at 1140 Royal Street and built the mansion there, the mm-hmm. the, the Lollerie Mansion, which still stands. It was a very, it was a, quite an undertaking. It was this big place um, with a Spanish courtyard. Very uh, every there were a lot of features about it that were that were difficult to build given right. the climate. But Is she it had purple? them built anyway. Is it um, purple? It's, Is that just like when I saw it, it's kind of grayish blue. Maybe that's why I feel like. Um, it. But it, it's been painted so I've many times. Who knows what the original color was? At the time, it was probably a beige color. It was very popular. Beige oh, color yeah. with probably blue painted onto the, the porticos because that's the color that keeps spirits out. And it just oh, became right. fashionable. Uh, and she managed all this with very little involvement for, from her husband. He was off cracking bones. Um, installing <laughs> roll up, bars. Breaking up other... Ha- yeah, installing <laughs> roll bars. <laughs> and I mean, maybe when she was done with him, like he, he had to be his own chiropractor. He had to crack his own bones, <laughs> if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> hey. Physician, heal thyself. Uh, so... <laughs> Uh, and so here's where things begin to, this is where, in this time period, she begins developing this reputation for just absolute cruelty to her 
staff, the, the slaves. Mm-hmm. And she, she owned a number of them. I mean, being a rich, uh, as rich as she was, she had uh, anywhere from like seven to, to 15. Uh, I mean, that's all, and that's a lot. Well, so, for not having any actual land or anything, yeah, because there was had no the house. Land. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so there was, there was quite a lot of stuff. And she threw cocktail parties. She she was a very huge socialite dinner parties. All this. I mean, the, the mansion was used. It was very much a public place when she was living there because people were coming and going all the time. Uh, you know, it was basically a salon quarters and. Um, and she she was known to being very polite to people of color in public. She she didn't treat them like lessers or you know in, implicitly. I mean, obviously they they were treated by lessers as society. So fuck right. all that shit. But she didn't seem excessively cruel to people of color or other people's slaves or even her own slaves in view of the public. Other people or people that came in. So uh, like to the see way her. that my grandmother treated us. Um, yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> I hope not, Sorry, actually. Uh, Sorry, and in fact, court records show that she actually even freed two of her slaves at one time. So, oh. you know, just bear that in mind. It's still uh, slavery, obviously, a fucking horrible practice. Yeah. And she was part of it. But, you know, it didn't seem uh, she somehow still got a reputation for being cruel to her slaves. And I'll get into why that may have started, even if it weren't true. I mean, in my argument, fucking owning slaves itself is fucking cruel. So yeah, she, she she does not get out of jail free for that, uh, in my estimation. But she doesn't seem to have actually, you know, been all that bad to them as far as the public was concerned until shit started coming out. Um, but it, apparently her reputation was such a concern that the city at one point sent a lawyer to visit her. Uh, that I think there's some indication he might have been a family friend. So I was like, why don't you go talk to her? And just to kind of politely remind her of the laws regarding the treatment of slaves, just to kind of be like, you are aware that you, you can't do certain things and then blah, 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 blah. And she was, oh, yes, of course, de- you know, de- demurred to him. And and so that, you know, that was kind of the, the environment. Everyone was like, now, again, this may have been people were just jealous because she was... Is so fucking rich. Rich as fuck. Uh, and there's, there's more on that in a little bit. So there is a story, one of the popular stories of what kind of began these rumors or what at least solidified them before the big fire that I'll get to in a moment was she is said to have had in her, uh, she's said to have had a 12-year-old slave girl named Leah that uh, she'd had, I mean, this 12-year-old child. And the story is that uh, before a cocktail party that Leah was brushing Madame LaLaurie's hair, Delphine's hair, and it snagged it and, and pulled it, and it just, that flew Delphine into a rage, and she grabbed a whip and then began chasing this girl through the house, intent on beating her with an inch of her life. And so terrified, apparently, was this 12-year-old child of what Madame LaLaurie would do if she caught her, that rather than than just sub- submitting to the whip, she threw herself from a four-story window into the courtyard to her death. Wow. And uh, this apparently precipitated an investigation. She had several slaves taken away from her, according to some court records. Uh, but she and her husband just bought them back through intermediaries. Well, that seems and reasonable. no one said anything because Rich, and, and all she, apparently all she really got was she got a slap on the wrist. She got a $300 fine. Uh, for Leah's death, and I don't. It's not clear whether that's three hundred dollars in uh, in eighteen thirties money or whether that's three hundred dollars now. But either way, to a woman whose fucking assets right. you know exceed that of the United States Treasury, three hundred bucks in any era is going to be fucking nothing. Drop nothing. in the bucket. Well, and it makes you wonder too: is the story of her jumping to her death uh, Laurie's story, or is it someone else? Like, is it from other people? Yeah. So if she's yeah. the one saying, we don't know if she was. 
throne. Right, right. But that's it. And it's a, that's uh, the death of Leela, this 12 year old girl, was, was a huge cornerstone in the story. Leela or Leah? Leah. Did I say oh, Leela? Sorry. Leela just then. Sorry, Leah. It's Leah, but it's spelled uh, unusually. It's L E I A. Um, well, that's pretty. Yeah. Yeah, it's a beautiful name. Um, so on April 10th, uh, 1834, a fire broke out in the uh, Lalaurie mansion. And here's where things get kind of confused because there's a lot of information coming from so many different sources about what happened the night of the fire. But the, the main takeaways are that uh, the the Laries were out somewhere else mm-hmm. and uh, neighbors and people that lived in the area saw the fire and, well, we have to go in and try to save these valuables, save the slaves that are in there. And they found an old slave woman who was chained to the stove. She'd been chained there pretty much forever. And that was just, I mean, she was a cook, and that was her job. So she was chained to the stove, and she confessed to starting the fire intentionally because she wanted to kill herself. Well. And uh, she also apparently told the people that showed up to save her that there was an attic room where there were several more slaves that had been chained up there. Some of them, she said, for months, and that you need to get them out. And so... Um, there's some conflicting stories here. Some say that the the Lalores came back by this time, and the mob was like, "We give us the keys to the attic room to free your slaves," and they wouldn't. She wouldn't relinquish the keys. Instead, she just insisted, and everyone helped them get the valuables out. I don't know that that's true. In fact, there's some evidence to suggest that it's not true that the Lalores were not even there when this was going on. Mm-hmm. But the uh, the attic door was broken into by the mob that was trying to save everybody, and they found uh, a group of slaves. It's thought to be about seven slaves were chained or bound or imprisoned up there and that some of them were in i mean they had to break down the attic door and they found these seven like quote living but horribly mutilated slaves suspended by the neck their limbs stretched and torn uh the slaves claimed to have been there for months some of them and they were just i mean they looked absolutely wretched and uh, in fact a judge who entered the house that night and later questioned the lorries about what the hell was going on in that attic room uh, attested an inquest to what he saw that night. And that's so some of some of that comes from his inquest uh, testimony. Uh, so that happened. The, the fire was was put out. So the mansion survived, I guess. But all this came out about the slaves and how she was how she uh, treated them. Various stories circulated in the in two rival newspapers at the time. And here we we get to the point where it's like some stories were saying like that the treatment was so crazy like that they were conducting experiments on these slaves or that their limbs that's were that's what I have back, always heard you know? and, that, and that's the big thing when you watch like say you know season three of, of American Horror Story that's that's how Lalaurie is portrayed and whether that's true or not we we don't know um, I'll get to why those stories may have circulated in a bit but essentially what happened is that those stories circulated another mob got together you know after reading these stories a few days later. Maybe not. Maybe a two or two or three days later, and decided they were going to come to the mansion and just tear that shit the fuck down. Well, I like that. You know what? Right? I like that. I like that they're like this is not how human beings should be treated, even though they were fine with slavery. But I mean, it seems like still, a step in the right direction. It's a step in the right least? direction. Yes. But it's still. It's like man, the irony humanity of humanity like, is always a good step. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. And so. Uh, here it's like we we just know that once the mob showed up, the the Lurries, Delphine and her husband uh, Louis just left. They they got in a carriage and apparently they raced through this crowd of angry people that were throwing things, trying to you know, get the carriage to stop. But they made it. 
they sailed across Lake Pontchartrain to the home of a friend, Louis uh, Coquillon, who uh, and there there they signed. And this is this is a matter of public record. There they signed over power of attorney to some relatives before they uh, went on to Mobile, Alabama, where they chartered passage to France, okay. never to come back to New Orleans. Oh, now uh, well, that's pretty extreme. Yeah, well, and they had never they never came back to New Orleans, but. There is some evidence, uh, some letters of uh, Madame Lalaurie's that survived that she wrote to her daughters that still live there asking or saying, like, you know, one day I want to come back. She loved New Orleans. It was her home. Yeah. And her daughters, like, were always telling her, no, you can't come back here after what they did to you, you know, kind of thing. So there's some suggestion that Lalaurie herself at least felt that she was unjustly persecuted in the court of public opinion, that maybe she hadn't done all the terrible things they said she did to her slaves, but... Or maybe she just didn't I mean, think it was a crime. Right, because maybe she didn't think there was these, anything wrong with it. These people are not people, you know, who Ugh. knows? We don't know. There's some stories about bodies being discovered in the courtyard, buried. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's some dispute about the actual number or even if they were there. Um, having said that, it was not uncommon for slave or staff members to be buried on property. Um, right. Usually it would have markers, though, but who knows? Now, Well, and also a burial in New Orleans is kind of weird. Yes. Well, putting, some, putting anything in the ground is kind of weird. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. But again, it's kind of the structural oddities of the Lalaurie Mansion that that it you could do that because the courtyard is slightly raised. Okay. So it's a strange, weird thing. Another really vastly expensive feature of the house when it was built. So there's. So she could bury all the people she was murdering. Maybe. But here's an interesting wrinkle that that both gives some truth to what she may have done but also explains why and that because the big thing is that she was doing medical but the 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 popular images of her of this complete psycho bitch that was just you know treated black people like animals and tucked them away in an attic somewhere so she could just sate her psychotic desires on them by like you know fucking with them and and doing horrible torture torturous things to make being a sadist there is uh, the archivist at Xavier University, a guy named Lester Sullivan, after looking into some records of the mystery, actually thinks that what was going on with the slaves at the time of the fire was that Madame Lalari was actually conducting a sort of Inquisition-style investigation. So in the months prior to the fire, apparently there was a family-owned plantation at St. Bernard's just up the river. That was in the in the fam- in the McCarty family, and there was a slave uprising at that plantation in which her mother died, and so that's all the information we have about it. No. But it's possible that in that uprising, slaves got out or got away, and it's conceivable that Lalari suddenly turned on her staff, her slaves. I shouldn't call them staff because that's not no, true. They, they were, were slaves. fucking slaves. She, I mean, either way, like I said, whatever she did, she had fucking slaves. Um, and it's possible she turned on her slaves to try to figure, to get to the bottom of what had happened or to try to find the people responsible. And maybe that's what was going on. Mm-hmm. Now, that's a little more believable than she was just this, you know, New Orleans version of Countess Bathory. But either way, she, she fled. I don't know. I think it's easier to believe that she was fucking crazy because what are the odds that these her, her slaves are going to know these other slaves or have ever interacted with them enough to know that there was an uprising on who was behind it? Like, that's pretty... It's not like they could make a phone call. That's true. That's so, true. It but, seems like a stretch It seems me. like a stretch, but it could be... And it just could be, too, that she didn't really have these... That she didn't really have strong feelings about her slaves one way or the other until her mother died in an uprising. And then she was like, fuck all of them. I want them all dead. And then so maybe rather than doing an investigation, she was like, fuck them. I just want to subject you to tortures because you all, you people, killed my right. mother. 
Um, it's possible, but either way, that may kind of explain it. There's also uh, some evidence to suggest that maybe her hatred of people of color came from, and specifically of slaves, came from the fact that her father and just about every male member of her family had slave mistresses. Okay. Uh, so there's some psychological conjecture that maybe she just had this thing because she looked at slaves as being a homewrecker. And maybe she didn't even necessarily want to have slaves. But if you were wealthy living in New Orleans at that time or anywhere in, in the I South. I love that. Like it's, oh, like I don't you, like them because they have a choice in the matter. It's not exactly. the white dudes. Yeah, exactly. It's not like, you know, these men were seduced uh, by their slaves. But so there's, but who knows? But again, that's all just hearsay. We don't know that there's any truth to that. These are people speculating hundreds of years after the fact. Um... So anyway, she fled to France and never came back. But apparently, she was said to have died in 1842. Some the, the rumor, the popular rumor is that she died in a boar hunting accident, which I don't. I, there's it's that's all, funny. It's kind of it's a great image, but she got bored to death. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what happened was, so after <laughs> she died, apparently her body was she wanted to be buried in New Orleans because that was her home soil, and so her body was secreted back. And is now secretly buried in, or secretly interred at one of the cemeteries in New Orleans, oh. and no one knows where. But that's that's the that's the thinking is that oh yeah her, her, her remains were sent here, but she lived hmm. the rest of her life, and she didn't live. I mean, when she when they fled to uh, France, they you know she and her husband, or at least uh, no one really knows what became of her husband. But uh, Lalaurie herself only lived in a few years after that because okay. I mean she fled in, less. She lived less than a decade after fleeing to okay. to Paris, apparently. So much of what she was supposed to have done to her slaves actually, though, comes from a book written in 1946 called The Haunted House of the Rue de Royale by an, uh, an author named uh, Jeanne Delvin. The author's sources included a lot of newspaper accounts uh, that were contemporary to the Lalaurie's day. Now, specifically from a paper called The New Orleans Bee, which was the first to run a story about finding tortured slaves in the attic. Now, that paper's chief source was a neighbor of the Lalauries, a guy named uh, Montreuil, who, by all accounts, had a thing for her for oh. years, and she spurned him. Okay. And so there is reason, at least there, there is probable cause for him to have started these awful rumors or to at least really embellished what had happened in order to just humiliate her because he hated her now, because yeah. she'd been spurning his advances forever since they lived next to each other. So... Take that as you will, but that so a lot of that account comes from you know the idea, and again, so much of it mirrors the story of Countess Bathory, that right. you know this female, that she, woman of privilege uh, who had all this money, and so the town just kind of turned a blind eye to her torturing all yeah. the servants. You know, they were all people that were beneath her in station. Yeah, it was so, only until for her that she started killing. Uh, dissonance of like royalty or, or something like something that, like that, was, that yeah, people was, were like hold mm-hmm. on you yeah, can't yeah. kill like, them well, you can't kill us so so it's it's a complicated story I, I my thinking is that she probably did do things to her slaves um i don't know if it was habitual or if it was inspired by the uprising that had happened the months before the fire down river mm-hmm. at at, uh, at her mother's place do we know if that happened before or after the girl jumped well here's the thing so we jumped. don't even know that the girl i mentioned even existed Okay. It's possible that well, that's all just a story that came up later the fact. My thing is with this, though, is the day of the fire, mm-hmm. she, bitch gets up and leaves the fucking country. She's like, all right, I'm out. 
Something had to happen mm-hmm. that she knew was bad enough that she had to leave the fucking Well, country. she didn't leave the day of the fire. She left a few days later after the but fire But she left immediately to... Well, because this angry mob showed up to the house to basically, you know, uh, kill them. So right. they fled for their lives. So... I and, still feel and, like, though, they fled for their lives, but the angry mob isn't just going to show up for no reason. Well, the angry mob Especially showed against up the white by woman. Then, well, and, but by then, you have to understand, and again, I'm not trying to defend a slave owner. That's, that, that's a... Oof. But it's the fact that it's possible that... So the fire broke out, people discovered slaves chained in the attic, which that seems to have happened. Yeah. Um... But stories got, and they, and the mob, there was kind of, you know, there was two minds of it. There was the mob that were like, how could you leave those people chained up there? They could have died. You know, Mm -hmm. that's, that's just cruelty. Let's like, you know, we would feel that way about someone that treated, you know, their kids negligently, but not necessarily actively sadistically torturing them. Just, you know, I'm locking them away while I'm gone. And, and they were, but, but the stories ballooned out of control because of, you know, a couple of that night or the day after the, the New Orleans Bee came out with a story about slaves that were being turned into, you know, horrible, mutilated, burned, scarred, limb twisted experiments. And that made people that drummed up enough where like all she had to do was pick up the paper that morning and go, holy shit, this is not good for me. Mm-hmm. So I don't think she left uh, because she knew anything was... I don't think she left or thought, felt a need to leave until the mob came. And once the mob came, she was like, we gotta go. And they had the money to, to leave quickly. Well, so but wouldn't they have had the money to, like, pay their way back? You know what I'm saying? Like, buy off people? Well, not, like, but not a mob. Not a mob. Well, no, but a mob you know? isn't gonna happen ten years later, or I guess she didn't live that long, but two years later, they're not gonna still have that mob, mob mentality. Well, So I, I, I just feel like it, there had to have been something for her to feel like... Yeah, I gotta go. Like, well, I think she did. I think. I mean, I think she did. I think she did torture her slaves, and mm-hmm. I think she did lock them up. That that much seems pretty clear. Every everyone's in agreement. But whether or not she that. did these, like, but whether psych- or not she was like this years long offender of doing this just for sheer pleasure, or whether this was a recent thing brought on by her mother dying in the slave uprising upriver, we don't know. Right. Either way, she did some shit. She did I mean, some she shit. certainly yeah. did some shit. We don't know that the story of the slave girl Leah is necessarily true. It might have been. Uh, but again, it seems like if we if we take into account that she freed two of her slaves at some point, if she'd have been the ha- and that's a matter of court record, mm-hmm. then it seems unlikely that she would have been a serial offender, a, a serial torturer. Because why would she free those slaves and let them out? Because they would tell stories. Perhaps because freeing them would make take the heat off of anything else she was doing. So if she was like, "All right, guys, I'm going to free you," but you can't Maybe. ever say anything They're like this is the promise or whatever. So Maybe. she frees them and then it makes it look to everybody like, look how kind she is. She can't be abusing them if she's freeing. Them. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Good. Bring a good point up. Yeah. I don't know. So I don't know. It's hard to say because definitely something I'm happened. I'm really invested was... in her being the worst of the worst. Well, she certainly isn't innocent of these no. things, but she she herself, according at least to the, the, the letters back and forth between her and her daughters in the years she was in France. She considered herself, as did her daughters, the victim of yellow journalism, you know, which mm-hmm. which she may have been. Now, that's not to say she didn't do anything. That's just to say that maybe the newspapers highly embellished it on the spurned neighbor's account. And it could also be that so the the, the fact that um, this this uh, Montreal guy supposedly was the, the New Orleans Bee's chief mm-hmm. source for the, the horrors in the attic of the LaLaurie mansion 
was contested by a rival newspaper called the New Orleans Times uh, Picayune, and they pointed out that that you know this guy was a neighbor that spurned her. But who knows? They that neighbor that that paper could have been in the Lillary pocket and be like, we're gonna right. you know. So who knows? Yeah. Again, when you're when you're dealing with history that's so fucking old, two hundred mm-hmm. years, there's all we have are the bullet points, and there's so many like the details get really really fuzzy. And so that's that's basically her story. So we get into the hauntings, which, yeah. of course, now for 200 years, this shit's been haunted. And there's so much. There's so much. So I kind of picked out some of the more salient features of the hauntings. So the building. Fantastic. Apparently in, in 1894, the, the mansion was converted into apartments. And a man, uh, not named, uh, was brutally murdered in his room. Oh. Uh, this in was New in, Orleans? I know, strangely. But nothing <laughs> of value was taken. There was no, it was no, clearly not from robbery. His friend, a close friend of his, who was actually concerned for him when the police, you know, questioned uh, the people that knew him. He's like, I was concerned for him. I, he didn't have any enemies, but he'd been acting really fucking nuts ever since he moved into this apartment oh. in, in the old Delury Mansion. And uh, in fact, the guy had told his friend that there, there's this fucking demon. He called it a sprite uh, in this room that was not going to rest until it killed him. And then well, he died brutally. Apparently, rest in peace, sprite. Right. <laughs> Obey your thirst. Um, <laughs> sorry, it's terrible. Uh, so, the mansion then afterwards it became a boarding school for girls uh, in like the mid to late nineteenth century. There's a lot of parallels with my story, but we'll get into that later. Crazy, right? It's well, really so this weird. Was, this was one of the. This was. It started out. The school started out as one of the few mixed race schools in New Orleans, where oh. girls of, of, of all colors were allowed to attend. Well, that's exciting. After uh, it was converted specifically to a school for African American girls uh, after uh, during the Reconstruction era after okay. the Civil War. Um, this was the time when it was exclusively a school for, for children of color, for girls of color. It was, this was when a lot of stories began circulating. Apparently all of the teachers there claimed like it was so common for the girls to come shrieking into their rooms late at night with bruises, scratches, marks around their throat, hair pulled. And they would insist, you know, that this woman had done it. All of the girls were in agreement that that this woman, the specter of this woman, violent woman, was was torturing them. Yeah. Uh, Moaning is heard in the attic room, you know, uh, it still stands. Phantom footsteps are supposed to echo regularly through the house. uh, more recently, just a few years ago, on a ghost tour, um, there's a there was a broken street lamp. So if you go on the ghost tour in New Orleans, which I did several years ago, they they cannot take you at least at the time they could not take you inside the Lillory Mansion because it's private property and not open to the public. At the time, it was owned by Nicholas Cage and oh, right. and we, in yeah. dispute. Yeah. So, but they do take you up to the corner and around it. So you can you know you're out there for the whole story. You're at this uh, corner of the street where there's a street light. At one evening, the street light was broken. It was just off, and. When the tour guide was beginning to tell the story, the part of the story involving the slave girl, Leah, the light came on and they all kind of laughed and were like, oh, oh, whatever. But when he said her name again, it went off. So it seemed to go off and on every time her name was said. Now, in the in the 1980s, so more recently, uh, two physicians bought the house and uh, they had a woman friend named Kathy was a radiologist who. Uh, she would. She was there all the time. She basically, she practically lived there. And she, uh, one night, she and another doctor were there for a party, and they had gone out to smoke in the courtyard and heard children laughing and playing and, like, footsteps running across the cobblestones right in front of them where there was yeah. no one. And they were just, there was an unused staircase in the back uh, that the, mm-hmm. the doctors were just kind of using as, like, a storage portion of the mansion. This is a big, again, big house. 
And uh, they would hear footsteps and scrapings, chains, Ooh. things like that. I don't um, like hearing chains. Mm-hmm. Now, at one point, there's a room with a big brick fireplace that the physicians were having restored or having redone. And, and again, renovations tend to stir shit up. They found a charcoal rendering of a famous portrait of Madame Lalaure <gasps> that you can see. And they found it rolled up, hidden Squirreled away behind the fireplace. And after that was uncovered, shit started happening in that room. Ooh. Every workman, uh, every construction contract worker that was in that room during the, the renovation period, because they were doing some pretty extensive renovations, uh, experienced something. Oh, wow. Uh, like they would come in the morning and find like their clothes in the fireplace, you know, just folded neatly, sitting there on the grate. Uh, not burned, of course, because no one would like it, but they would paint brushes would go missing or end up in weird places. There'd be paint swatches on the walls where there weren't any. Uh, and one guy looked down from a ladder that he was on and saw a woman in a gray dress just staring at him very intently before she disappeared. So that's fucked up. Well, it makes you wonder if that painting was some sort of spell to keep her there. You know what I mean? And when they yeah, maybe, rolled it up, maybe, maybe it, it doesn't bear the, it. like, why? Why did, why was that charcoal little rendering rolled up? Was in a it piece charcoal of or like? It was charcoal rendering on a piece of parchment it, paper. Or was it, was it really just charcoal or was it like bones and blood and shit? You know what I'm saying? Oh God. I'm just thinking spells. I'm just thinking what would <laughs> Sabrina <laughs> the Teenage Witch do? In the new series, and that's totally what she would <laughs> Well, it appears to be either a rendering of the famous oil portrait of Lalari right. that still survives, or it was the study that would later become, mm-hmm. you know, the, the basis of the, This is what portrait. I think happened. I think after she died, shit started happening. So they did a spell, did a charcoal drawing mm. of her, probably with some sort of, like, Maybe. you know, chicken beak in it or some shit. And... <laughs> And then, and then they some rolled it up. Or, some New Orleans shit. Maybe they went to Mary Laveau. Right. And said, give it, give They rolled some it help. in there and trapped her into the painting, her spirit in the Ooh. painting, so that she couldn't haunt them. And when they found it, she gives a little free it to freed kind of her. That's my theory. Oh, if I was writing right. this episode of uh, television, that's what I would See, now I want to go back and be like, maybe the girls' school, maybe maybe they were like, we have to do something. These poor yeah, girls right? made torture. Oh, yeah, that's okay, totally what take, happened. Let's do We've this. Decided. Let's try to do this. And then maybe maybe they went to, to Marie Laveau, who would have been Ooh. a contemporary, I think it would have been contemporary, contemporary at the time, right? Possibly. In the, the late 1800s, don't hold early us 1900s. Accountable if we're I, don't, I should have looked period. that up. But it's a great story. We should be writing this down. Um, and maybe they went <laughs> I'll to record her. It. Don't worry. I'll record it. It'll be great. <laughs> oh, we're recording this? Shit. Yeah, I know. Um, so, the last little thing I thought was really interesting is that uh, this this woman named Kathy, the, the mm-hmm. physician's friends, who were, they were at some point after they've been there for several years, they were moving out. And she was helping them pack up. And she was in this storage room uh, that was being used where, you know, like the footsteps could be heard frequently and all that. And she was just packing stuff. She was arranging books and whatnot. And she just kept feeling like the room kept getting darker, like clouds were going overhead outside. And it just made her uneasy. And she'd been in this house a lot, so it wasn't unusual. And at point, some point she looked up uh, after trying to ignore this feeling for a long time, trying to ignore her instincts. It was never a good idea. Seldom a good idea. I shouldn't say never. And she saw uh, the apparition of a man standing in the doorway, looking at her, confused, like, the fuck are you doing here? And he even apparently cocked his head to one side as if to, like, ask her, may I help you or something? Like, he was just as confused and frightened as she Ooh, seemed to like be. Oh, it's like a time slip. 
Exactly. Now here's the details. He was he was a white guy, and he had a beard, uh, and his hair was long and slicked back in the fashion of the mid 1800s. Mm-hmm. And he was attractive, but she could really only make out his head, his hair, his shoulders, and part of his torso. Everything <laughs> down there was gone. From his waist down. From his, well, from about mid-torso, apparently, down, he was invisible. Well, he was very confused as why he had yeah. no legs. And then he and then he just, he looked at her and, uh, you know, as if to ask her a question, and before he could say anything, just blipped out of existence. <gasps> yeah, what? yeah. Now, I, I want to kind of finish on this little note. So when I took the tour uh, of the New Orleans Ghost Tour, and we stopped by the Little Mansion, which is a good, like, quarter of the tour. Like, they spend a lot of time in front of this mm-hmm. house talking about the story, because it's one of their best stories in a city full of gruesome, horrible, awesome, ghostly stories. And they they told of uh, the apparition of a slave that people would see who was cut in half, hanging oh. from a chain. And methinks me that perhaps maybe Kathy's story of seeing the ghost that the physicians at the time thought, oh, that's probably Dr. LaLaurie. That's probably her husband because he kind of was young and had that look and he was just hanging out there and maybe he was more present because two physicians lived in the house and he felt a certain kinship to them. Who knows? And now they were moving out and he was sad. Who knows? <laughs> they were but like, you're a chiropractor. You're so. a chiropractor. <laughs> yeah, we actually we actually went to a real school. Um, sorry, that's awful. <laughs> it's awful because my favorite doctor is my chiropractor. Hey, chi- well, I'm a chiropractor now. Great. But yeah. chiro- you got to think chiropractor. Like, chiropractor. They were just breaking spines left and right. They're just like, let's crack. Oh, no, never mind. <laughs> Should not um, have done that. Sorry. That's next. Next. Well, <laughs> here's a corset. Um, (laughs) but, uh, but I wonder if maybe in some ways Kathy's story of seeing the man has since been sort of co-opted by the more popular narrative of the slave torture. Um, and things now people see, cause there's no mention anywhere in the official records of any of the slaves having, being disemboweled. Uh, well that there, there is the newspaper article where they insist some of the slaves had their internal organs wrapped around them and stuff, but, but none of those slaves apparently in the court records, none of those slaves were dead. They were just, you know, they were, some of them were maybe wanted to die or in such horrible shape that they were almost dead, but there are no reports of her actually killing any of her slaves. So, she was just a very talented torturer. Maybe. But Fuck so that, that so that is as and, and again, there's so yeah. many more details, like so many conflicting information so much conflicting information. I think it's important. I all I can say is I walk away from this going, well, bitch did something. Yeah. Um, why and to what extent we don't know, but she did flee and she fled for a reason. Did she just flee? I mean, it's I don't think she just did nothing and no, like yeah, and this, there's no and this way. newspaper, because she could have sued the shit out of that newspaper. So she clearly she did something that was close enough to what she was accused of that she couldn't fight it in court or she right. couldn't fight it in the court of public opinion and thought, fuck yeah. it, we got to leave. So she probably did torture slaves and and or at least it's po- I think she may have tortured them. Uh, well, I don't think she thought of it as a torture. I think after her mother died in the slave uprising in the other family property, she then was paranoid of her slaves and just locked them away in the attic to keep them from having access to her whenever they wanted because she was terrified of being killed like her mother was. I think that's what happens. Now, I don't think she thought of that as torture. I don't think she was necessarily actively trying to... to, to she wasn't, like, getting some sexual pleasure off no, of No, I think them. she was just locking them away because she was paranoid of them. And that... and Which was torture. I mean, obviously... Yes, absolutely. Were, she was a fucking but I don't think cunt. I don't think she saw it as torture. <laughs> I think she just saw it as a necessary precaution because of what had happened to her mother. Wow. And then knowing, and that was just enough truth to the stories that she knew she couldn't convince people otherwise and thought, I'm, I need to leave or they're going to kill me. The mob's going to kill me. And they were right, too. But, yeah. Wow. 
Yeah. Good story. Hey, before I start mine, do you want to make me another mimosa? I think that's a fabulous idea. Awesome. All right. We are freshly mimosa'd. <sighs> I hope you're freshly whatever you're drinking or doing. Um, <laughs> so my story is also about a place that I went. Uh, it was my very first ghost tour. And it spoiled me for any other ghost tour ever. I love them because I love the history, but this ghost tour was epic. Really? I've actually been there twice, maybe three times. And it is the Crescent Hotel and Spa in Eureka Springs, Arkansas. I've actually spoken of my experiences at this ghost tour uh, on the podcast before, but I'll go into that. First... Let's talk about Eureka Springs. Yeah, I know nothing about Okay, this is great. Okay, so it's located in the Ozarks of Northwest Arkansas. There's about 2,000 people there today. Um, you know, we've talked about Estes Park, too, uh-huh. where the Shining yeah. Hotel is. Yes. It's very much like Estes Park, if you've been there. It's beautiful. It's super scenic. They have hot springs, though. Um, and it's got those little shops, like, through the center of town and it's like you know the fudge shop or like the little ice cream parlor or the you know the old-fashioned touristy shop that's kind of what the downtown area is like there's like a place where you can get bath salt stuff and it's pretty great at least there used to be when i went before but that is what eureka springs is now lots of spas lots of touristy kind of it's just a very quaint cute little town the crescent hotel and spa has been covered on Ghost Hunters and Paranormal Witness. Okay. You may uh, remember Ghost Hunters. Um, Jason, one of the guys, it was Jason and Grant. Yeah, I remember. Okay, I so remember Jason is getting a read- reading from a medium, and you can see, like, the energy, like, gets sucked from Jason to the medium on, like, a thermo dynamic. Like the thermal The thermal, the thermal camera, yeah. Yeah. Oh. So you see on the thermal camera, like, him taking energy from Jason. It's super cool. It's super, Ooh. super cool. Um, that is the guy, the medium, and that is the guy who, who did the first ghost tour that I did. <gasps> no shit? Yeah. Oh! Yeah, that's pretty crazy. Lucky. Um, they also, on that thermal camera, they caught a figure of a man in one of the rooms down in the morgue, like, standing against this locker thing. You could see, like, very clearly the figure of a man standing there. I think I remember that Do you remember episode? that? Yeah, yeah it's really yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. It's still available, I think, if you just Google it. Yeah. <laughs> Eureka Springs, Crescent Hotel, whatever. I think you can still... See, it's pretty great. It's a pretty good one. And I had gone to the ghost tour before that episode ever aired. So when it aired, I was freaking out because it was just this revisit to this like... Like, I've been there! Yeah, I'm a little obsessed at this point. (laughs) So anyway, Eureka Springs developed in the 19th century because of those healing hot springs. The Osage tribe had used the 60-some hot springs for uh, healing purposes and other stuff like that until they got cursed and sent to Oklahoma otherwise known as Indian Territory. Lucky Osage! Um, <laughs> so then when the white folk found out about the waters, they shat it up by making it a boom town. Mm, <laughs> fucking white people. Yeah, so thanks to those stories, miraculous healing, eyes being healed, people being able to see, cripples walking, shit like that, it went from a rural village spa, spa village, to a flourishing city spa and tourist destination. Uh, On Valentine's Day, 1880, it was officially incorporated. And by 1889, nine years later from becoming an actual city, it was the second largest city in Arkansas behind Little Rock. Oh, my God. So, yeah. like, basically it went from, like, quaint to, like, bougie shithole. Yes, exactly. In record time. Yes. Um, that being said, 
I would have loved to have been there at the time. (laughs) There was a governor, actually, who, uh, a previous governor of Arkansas, his name was Powell Clayton. Hmm. Um, He moved there after he became governor and touted the city as a retirement and health spot for the wealthy. So it became known for gracious living and a well-to-do lifestyle. He brought in the railroad. He brought in sanitation. He bought and built the Crescent Hotel in 1886. And so that basically became a hangout for his rich friends, the railroad guys, political friends, stuff like that. There's a quote from the Eureka Springs Times Echo on May 20th of 1886, which says, and I feel like it needs an accent, so I'm going to do it in what I feel it would sound like (laughs) at the time. The magnificent structure was then furnished in the most exquisite manner. It is lighted with Edison lamps, furnished with electric bells, heated with steam and open grates, has a hydraulic elevator, and is truly a showplace of today's conveniences. It's like I'm there. Yeah, right? (laughs) It's like I'm there in a telegraph office reading this paper. While waiting for the Daily Mail. I, yeah. yeah. To I'm, tweet it today, it would be like, it's fancy as fuck. It's fancy <laughs> yeah. as fuck. So that lasted not as long as you would think because spring water just kind of wasn't a thing anymore, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> so in 1908, it was reopened as the Crescent College and Conservatory for Young Women during the off season. What the fuck? <laughs> so it was pretty much just a college that summered as a hotel. <laughs> That's basically what it did. Right. Um, It was a boarding school for the privileged ladies of society. Ladies in town could attend daily, but the prices were very steep. Mm. Yeah. $270 Mm. to $375 per year. Got to keep out the riffraff. That's right. Of course, that included room and board. (laughs) So it was very expensive. I mean, mean, at the time it was expensive. Highway robbery. I started laughing when I saw that. (laughs) (laughs) So the school, like it went, there's a lot of this, like the... It shutting down and reopening and shutting down and reopening. So the school closed down in 1924 and then reopened again in 1930 and lasted through 1934 as like a junior college, also just for women. During this period, one young woman, we don't know if she was pushed or fell or jumped, but either way, at approximately 10.30 p.m., she fell from the third floor... She fell, mimosas, <laughs> from the, third, from the floor. third floor balcony onto the garden below where she died. Fuck you. That's mm-hmm. not really? Yeah. How the fuck are we both oh, that? Sorry. This, we're the just getting started, baby. I know. I know. So it turns out she had been pregnant, which was a big controversy because this is a school for privileged ladies of the time. Uh, They're supposed to keep those girls pure. Oh, well, yeah. They're right. paying. How much And so... <laughs> Two hundred seventy to three hundred seventy-five dollars per year. Per year, yeah. and my daughter still gets not. I, I I'm know. Outraged. How dare you, sir? So somebody fucked up, and it wasn't just that poor girl. Literally, yeah. <laughs> the uh, information on her, though, is from journals and letters from girls at the school at the time, because everything about her has been taken out of public record, and they what? think it's because. She, uh, her parents were very, would have been very wealthy for her to attend school there. Yeah. So they didn't want a scandal. So they just basically they just erased, erased her. her existence. Yeah. Or I mean, maybe they said that she married someone and moved to out of, you know, you never know what they said, but they erased that from history. They, she, they, they went, no, she married into the, the nice family, the Lalluries. Yeah. Oh, fuck. They but we still have, <laughs> right. Ah, oh, damn it. But we still have those journals 
that tell this the truth about this woman. Ooh. Yeah, um, and and newspaper articles and stuff like that too. So we know that she did exist. Uh, so since then, people have regularly seen a ball of mist with the figure of a woman inside it drop off the same third floor balcony at eleven thirty at night. Whoa. Sometimes they see the figure of a man walking away from the spot on the balcony where she fell. Mm. So obviously she was fucking murdered, right? Um, so people see this, and this isn't like something pe- a couple of people have seen throughout the years. They see it all the time. People will gather in the garden at 1030 at night regularly because she's seen so often. Like it's, it's very so residual. That- yeah. Damn. Yeah. In fact, there was a teacher that had seen her, like a local teacher that had a little girl that come in, came into school and she was very upset. And when she talked to her about it, she said she had seen this woman fall off the balcony from the third floor. And she was really upset because there was yeah. nobody did anything or, but she saw it from afar because it's sitting up on a hill yeah. and it had really upset her. And she had no knowledge of the history of the hotel. She didn't know anything about it. So that is just something that people see all the time. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. So. That's fucked up. Right. I know. <laughs> After the college closed in 1934, the Crescent was leased as a summer hotel until 1937, who in the monster of monsters, Norman G. Baker, sounds a lot like Norman Bates, but we know that they're different because Norman Bates had a soul. Norman Baker (laughs) purchased the Crescent and turned it into a hospital and health resort. Oh, shit. Let's talk about this motherfucker here. (laughs) I'm guessing, I'm guessing he cured few people. Very few people. Um, And I'm going to go through a lot on him, but there is so much more. So please research this motherfucker. Norman Baker. Norman, uh, Norman G. Baker. Did from the, the Crescent G stand Hotel. For goddamn. I mean, maybe. Okay. All, right. All right. So he was a former vaudeville, vaudeville magician, vaudevillian magician. Vaudevillian. Oh yeah, vaudevillian. Vaudevillian. All right, we'll That's do a good that. Word. He was a former magician. vaudevillian magician, <laughs> turned inventor, turned millionaire businessman. I already do not trust him. Turned populist radio host. Oh fuck this guy. Turned faux doctor. He basically fake newsed people into believing he could doctor them, even though he had no medical training whatsoever. He claimed to have several cures for various ailments, including cancer, and launched frequent attacks on organized medicine, which he accused of being corrupt and profit-driven. He had this very, like, common man persona, even though he was a multimillionaire. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? It's ringing some, <laughs> some bells. Dim yeah. orange bell. He was also a multimillionaire in the 1930s. And that's a million dollars then. It was like, that's the equivalent of being a billionaire mm-hmm, now. Right. It was a lot. Um, he even paid someone to write his biography to further sell that he was a crusader who fought to protect the common man against exploitation. While, guess what he was doing? Exploiting the common man? Maybe, yes. Uh, Good job. You get an A. Yeah. <laughs> At least so, he kind of stayed in his lane. <laughs> I'm, kidding, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. He sounds like an. I already He's hate terrible. him. Okay. I already fucking hate the him. The only reason he was in Eureka Springs was because he had been run out of Iowa for practicing medicine without a license. He had been using faux cures for years until the American Medical 
until the American Medical Association finally stepped up and spoke out against him. Newspapers started publishing articles about him that basically told the truth about what he was up to. For example, one of the other quacks he worked with had already been run out of Illinois for doing the same fucking shit. To give you an idea of how much money he was making in 1930, this man of the people, he made over $444,000 from cancer sufferers alone. Which is roughly oh, the equivalent of $4.8 million today. What a One year. piece of shit. And yeah. he was probably feeding them like, here, here's my urine. My urine will cure your right. fucking breast cancer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Piece um, of shit. So lawsuits and drama ensued after that. He even claimed they sent three assassins to kill him. If only. Yeah. Turns out there was no evidence that that was ever found. The cops were like, nah. <laughs> and... He was like, oh, they're all uh, working with the American Medical Association to get me. Blah, blah, blah. Right. Uh, Yeah, it's insane. God almighty. He, his attempt to fight the accusations of fraud was to do a live demo of one of his cures. So he basically, in front of a crowd of 32,000 people, because he had a radio station, so he would blast all of this bullshit about the American Medical Association, how horrible they were and how great he was and how he could cure anything. And so people listen to this radio station a lot. Mm. And uh, he's like, come on in and I'll show you that it's true. So 32,000 people in 1920-something showed up. Well, they weren't doing anything else. Right. Yeah, it's true. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And what he did was basically drink a bunch of one of his cancer cures and then apparently opened the skull of a man he said had brain cancer while the dude was awake, (gasps) applied the cure, get this, the cure was spring water, watermelon seed, and carbolic acid. And then was basically like, yay, he's cured, isn't that wonderful? For a little kick, the carbolic acid. Really? Yeah, it was a total fucking hoax, though. So beyond it being, like, us being like, what? They saw it, and they were like, he's really curing these people. Look, isn't it awesome? Because the guy sat up, and he was fine afterwards. So the guy wasn't, like, really a cancer patient. He was, like, an actor, basically. No, he had a condition that had some sort of swelling with his head. So his head would swell up, and it would look like the top of his head was his brain. But it wasn't. So they made it look like they took off the top of his head. But in reality, it was probably like a hat or some shit. And then it was just actually the top of his head that they were putting this stuff I mean, he on. was a vaudeville magician. He wouldn't know how to do that shit. Exactly. Ooh, yeah. fuck. So that's how they arranged that. <laughs> Keep in mind, so though, that was still his cure. That was still what he was selling, is the fucking that's carbolic what he acid did. cocktail. Watermelon seed spring water cocktail, yes. That was still his cure, it was just he didn't actually do it in public. Probably because he knew what actually happened. Because he did it on other people. Oh. Yeah. Okay. After that, then people were like, okay, he really is practicing medicine without a license. So he was forced off the radio. Everybody like went to the radio station and was like, we're not, you've got to get him off because this is terrible. They got him off the radio. An arrest warrant was issued for him. So he fled to Nuevo Laredo, Mexico, for mm. a year or so, where he made the biggest, baddest, fullest shit radio station that side of Nuevo Laredo. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just the same shit. But eventually he went back to Muscatine, Iowa, which is where all of this happened, and turned himself in on the fraud charges for practicing without a license mm-hmm. and served one full day. Oh, God, there you that. go. That's that justice. Nice? Yeah. Jesus. Um, they should have made him drink his own fucking cure. Right. 
So after that day in prison, he decided he was going to run for Senate. And believe it or not, he did not. He did not <laughs> I'm win. A convicted felon. <laughs> What's next for me? The Senate. Senate. And normally that works. I mean, if we look, we see that that oh, yeah. has worked in the past. <laughs> but it did not for him. Thank God. Although maybe it would have been better if it had. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, give him give him a harmless job like senator. Right. <laughs> What's he going to do? Nothing. If he's <laughs> anyway, <laughs> literally nothing. So. <laughs> So anyway, uh, that is when, after all of that, that's his history, that is when he purchased the Crescent Hotel. He moved all of his patients from there, from Iowa or Nuevo Laredo or wherever it was. He moved them to the Crescent Hotel to continue the practice. At this point, he stopped claiming he was a doctor. He never really claimed he was a doctor. It was just that he was practicing, he was practicing. medicine. Yeah. yeah. So he never claimed he was a doctor. He hired doctors to treat the patients or whatever. Uh, when he bought the hotel, he redecorated it because he believed patients should have happy surroundings. And apparently that meant making the place look like a fucking carnival. He loved lavender. Oh, God. So there was lavender everywhere. He was known for wearing this white suit with a lavender tie. Is that why you asked me if the Lillery Mansion was lavender? Yeah. yeah. It, hey, it, may, it might have I know. been. In my mind now, I kinda is, wa- but... now in my mind it's going to be. <laughs> yeah. But he wore lavender suits? No, he wore cream-colored like white suits and then lavender ties and, and purple suspenders. His car, he had like a convertible. It was lavender. Like he was really, he really likes like lavender. A, he's like a Disney villain at this point. He is, yes. At that point, they assume he was making $500,000 a year. Um, Several pretty, million. Pretty, yeah. Five million maybe. We'll it's say $5.3 million. We'll say more than the United States Treasury. <laughs> <laughs> Just to have no, another but parallel. Still. <laughs> um, so he only lasted a, three years, I think, at the Crescent Hotel mm. because the Federales were closing in on him. They were watching him. They knew what was going Wait, on. So they were history. waiting for him to screw up, which he got, he stayed there so long because he quit saying he was, he, you know, he never said he was a doctor. Mm. So, um, the legal loophole. You want a little, a little insight into what was going on at the Crescent Hotel? Please. Um, when a patient would come to the hospital, which he said would cure anything, he would interview the patients so he could have one-on-one time with them and know their know them by name. So if he was out and about, he could be like, oh, hey, Sarah, how are you? You know, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, then he would ask if they had heirs. If not, he would say, oh, that's okay. Just sign this paper here and we'll make sure you get all the treatment. And it's never interrupted. So that paper would mean they would signed over everything they owned to him. So if they died... When they died, he would get everything. Anyone who is unfortunate enough to be sick uh, listening to this and you're going for a cure, if anyone wants you to sign everything away to them, you're not in a good place. Don't do it. Go go somewhere else. Um, if, if people had heirs, he would ha- say, great, that's wonderful. Let's go ahead. I want you to go ahead and sign these papers. And so he would have them sign us like a stack of, of empty papers at the bottom and then when they got too weak to write or after they died he would type up letters and send them to their heirs asking for more money for treatment oh my god Mm -hmm. yeah um so he had the brain cure he had just drinking spring water (laughs) he had uh he was really fond of diagnosing hypochondriacs with cancer because they immediately became sex success stories. Yeah, well, yeah. That's, right. uh, I mean, yeah. that's a brilliant business model, but... 
Yeah, in reality, people were dying in droves. Oh, yeah, God. it was terrible. God, and Almighty. you think too, like people who should have gotten help, who could have had, had curable cancer, yeah, went there went instead there, and, and didn't get treated and died and got because yeah. this fucking psychopath. Yeah, well, sociopath. He, he didn't believe in pain medicine. Of course not. So when patients got too loud because they were in pain from either his treatments or the fucking cancer. Um, they were sent to the asylum area of the hotel to get their mind right. That's what he would tell everybody. Oh. Yeah. So pretty much the asylum was full of cancer patients suffering, you know, in intolerable pain and screaming a lot. Um, and until they died, it was originally, the asylum was originally built as a servant's quarters for the wealthy guests staying at the hotel. They sort of forgot about the the servants like all the rich people came and they're like where are servants gonna stay and they stayed they camped in tents on the property for a while until they built this like uh annex Mm. and that's where the the servants stayed oh my god and once it became i think the college or maybe once it was the hospital was sealed or after the hospital i'm sorry after the hospital after it became the screaming side of the of the hospital oh um scream ward yeah they sealed it off until the most recent owners bought it so nobody used it after that until it's just been completely boarded up yeah until for... the 90s when it was purchased by the <sighs> most recent owners yeah <clears throat> yeah insane now uh it's the bridal suites <laughs> so they're still screaming so it serves much the <laughs> still, same function yeah you just stay there until you die <laughs> <laughs> so in 1940 federal charges were filed against him for mail fraud because he sent out brochures that said, I will cure your cancer guaranteed within six weeks. Something along those lines. I've read That's a couple That's what got the versions. mail fraud. Not the fact That's that he was forging letters to not home the forging letters, people that were dead or Not the to letting people die. Not the, It's not the false promises because people would sign away their rights. Right? So, it's not, it's, oh it's yeah, always, we know that he's not, it's not really a guarantee. Or we know he's not really a doctor. It's okay. We know that. And then they die. There's no recourse. But, but that's just good police work, I guess, because yeah. they, they have to get him on something just to get him the fuck out of circulation. Exactly. It's like with Capone, where they were like, well, we'll get him on tax evasion. Oh, yeah. yeah. Not about the murdering, Cap- not everything else. But I'll talk about Capone in a second. Really? Yeah. Okay. Shit. So, <laughs> I know. This is a crazy story. I should play the lottery today. Yeah. So he ended up being convicted um, and was sent to Leavenworth for four years, which isn't a lot. No. But it's Leavenworth for four years. So there's that. Why not five years? Right. He tried to come back, but every uh, he, I think he tried to go back to muscatine and everybody was like thank you so much but no yeah we don't need that thanks i hate it <laughs> hated it so he re- ended up retiring to florida and died of night in 1958 of liver cancer Ooh, did his cure not work <laughs> karma, 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 yeah so god i hope i hope he had a doctor that knew his history and was like ah you know what i'm not gonna give you pain medications how do you We're gonna feel send about you watermelon seed how do you feel about just having your mind put right no a doctor couldn't do that but. yeah right no um god, if only, but one of the other quacks that worked yeah, with him yeah, also yeah. died of cancer it was in the 70s so he lived longer which fucking sucks but at least he died of cancer so, yeah. Should have died um, of every kind of cancer. Yeah, and this is all just through the 1940s. So this is like the first 50 years of this building being in existence. This is the history of it. God damn. Yeah. Um, the Let's see. The Crescent Hotel. And, and they assume there are hundreds of people that died in that in those three years. And, you know, that didn't get the treatment, that got bad treatment, all of that stuff. Mm. Yeah. Um, mm. He, let's see. 
I know too, like he, when he moved there, he hired a lot of like locals to come in and help work. So they either worked at painting. And so people liked him at first because he gave them all work, but he also hired people to sit on the front steps and drink sweet tea and tell everybody that they had been cured from cancer. Oh, yeah. God. I'd like tell the reporters Jesus or people. Were just, yeah. Christ. Yeah. Pretty wicked. So Ugh. anyway, it, it was left ownerless through World War II until 1946 uh, when it was purchased by four dudes. We're just going to call their first names. John Herbert Herbert and Dwight. <laughs> John Herbert Herbert Dwight. Yeah. They turned it into kind of a little Chicago. There was a lot of drinking, gambling, criminaling. The local cab company was called Four Deuces. <laughs> Which was incidentally the same name of Al Capone's private nightclub in Cicero. Uh, <laughs> hey, I bet the locals were like better than having a fucking right. quack killing. Well, and like patients. the screaming of the annex apparently could be hear- heard throughout town. Oh God! Yeah, it was on the hill, right? Like how how could you live in that town and hear all that and not like get a mob together and go and like we're gonna fucking find out what the fuck's going right. on? How did the people living there not do anything? Well, they worked with the. The money. federal agents. Money. Well, they worked with federal agents. I mean, he only was there for three years. Okay. So they Oof. they did work pretty quickly. He he won him over at the beginning, and then they turned on him, as they should. So mm, okay. in Love 1955, it. they threw out a lot of the criminal element because there was a major bust. Mm. Uh, and so on March 15th, 1967, which is quite a few years, 11 years afterwards, 12 years, I can do math. <laughs> Close enough. The ho- hotel, uh, one of the same owners was still owning it. The hotel was nearly burned to the ground. Fire claimed the fifth floor and most of the fourth floor in that fire. It's another parallel. They blamed, I know, <laughs> they blamed it on a bellman burning boxes in the lobby fireplace. What? Yeah, that's what they, that's what they say. That's what happened. Um, the only okay. living owner was Dwight, Dwight Nichols. He sold it in 1972 to two couples who renovated it and reopened the Crescent as a working hotel in 1973. Had they not bought it because they were bidding for it, mm-hmm. the other bidders would have turned it into a chicken house. <laughs> crazy? Yeah. Like it was between renovating the hotel and taking it back to his like, you know, glory days or chicken, chicken house. Chicken house. Yeah. Glor- That's a lot of chickens. A very fancy chicken coop. Yeah. Can you imagine how bad Eureka Springs would have smelled if that had been the case? Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> right? In 1992, it went into foreclosure because the economy. Mm, In 1997, Marty and Elise Ronick, I think is how you pronounce it, purchased the Crescent Hotel for $1.3 million. They oversaw a six-year restoration and renovation of the hotel room, all of the hotel rooms. It now looks almost exactly like it did when it first opened. Mm. Yeah, it's very close to the original. Hmm. Unfortunately, Marty Ronick died in a car crash in 2009 with their beloved dog. Aww. It was so sad. Aww. But Elise still remains the hotel's current owner, and she actually lives on site in a penthouse. Hmm. So she's there. Um, the building was listed on the National Register of Historic Places in 2016. And what's really fucking cool is they have archives on the fourth floor of the hotel, so you can just go research that shit oh, yourself. That's, that's badass. That cool? Yeah. They yeah. really embrace the history and the haunting. Of the hotel. That's really cool. Okay, yeah. so... Like, there's a there's a haunting, like a, a like a supernatural convention that happens. Not, like, for the show Supernatural, but, like, parapsychology and shit like that. Like, convention at the hotel. We totally have to go. I know! <laughs> I know. So, okay. Would you like to know about the haunting? <sighs> yes. 
So it is said there is activity in every single room of that hotel, in every single part of that hotel. Mm. They have so much activity that there's a sign-in online where people tell their ghost stories that they've experienced in the hotel. They get a few stories every single day. They also get pictures. Uh Mm -hmm. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. When I went there, I remember... Uh, digital cameras were brand new because I'm real old. And <laughs> the people uh, that w- we were talking afterwards and they had taken a picture and um, he was like, I don't know if it's the camera that can do this or what. But we all looked and in the digital screen of the camera, you could see what looked like a cowboy leaning against a wall like he was sitting mm. on a bench, mm-hmm. but there was no seating there. And it was just a shadow of him. But it was very clear. Like, you could see the cowboy hat. His hat, head was tilted down. You could see the cowboy boots. You could see spurs. It was crazy. What? Yeah. yeah. It was nuts. Oh. So people get pictures and stuff like that all the time. I will. I don't have that picture because it was my camera. But they have pictures online, and I'll post some of those yeah, on our do Instagram it. Please, page, Please, too. please, I want to see. I want to see. The very first ghost is from 1885, the year before it was opened. Okay. It's an Irish stone man named Michael. He was probably seven. Michael. 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 Good name. Well, yeah. He was probably <laughs> 17, 18 years old is what they say. He was a good looking li- guy who was very fond of the ladies. Oh, well. The hotel was a shell at the time. He was part of the um, stonemasons that were working on the hotel. And he was on the top of the store of the hotel. It's five stories. Mm-hmm. He was on the top when he saw, they tell the story, he saw a beautiful lady passing by. But I think he was on the fifth floor. He saw tits passing by. He didn't know if she was beautiful or not. He was on the fifth floor <laughs> looking down. But he could see her tits. But he could see she had massive that. breasts. She probably has tits. <laughs> I'm going to cheer at her. Classic construction mover. I know, I know. Hashtag not all <laughs> Hashtag construction not all workers. <laughs> but it's a very classic story. So he started waving and jumping to get her attention. He really liked them titties. And he fell. (laughs) That's so awful. It's terrible. To his death, (gasps) he landed um, on a beam, (gasps) on a metal beam, and that's what killed him. And that beam is part of the floor of room 218. At least Michael died doing what he loved. (laughs) (laughs) Harassing women. I was going to say hugging a beam, but... (laughs) (laughs) You know, six of one. So um, it's said that he haunts room 218 and room 318 because he fell through room 318 on his way down. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, He still is said to have a hankering for the ladies. Men, not so much. Some people have heard Come on, Michael. I know. Some people who stay in the room hear a boom and can feel the room shake, and they think that's the residual of him falling. Oh, and hitting the beam. Uh Yeah. Uh, There, With women, they'll be in the shower, and the shower curtain will open. Nobody will be there. Water knobs gets messed with. Get messed with. Gets messed with. Water knobs gets messed with. <laughs> uh, and uh, some sensitive areas are grabbed sometimes. Oh. But sometimes just a touch on the shoulder oh, and the oh. lower back, stuff Top like that. Top of the morning to you, Missy. <laughs> Tit to the morning. Um, <laughs> men have a tendency to get yanked out of bed or have the covers pulled off of them. Mm. One time, maybe he does like the. This is a great too. story. I mean, he's been dead for a while. Maybe, maybe his tastes just, of his. He's gotten some range. He's just trying for anything at this point. <laughs> um, one time, there was a grandmother who was staying at the hotel for her granddaughter's wedding. She woke up and could not find her dentures. She got the whole family involved because the bitch needed her teeth. 
<laughs> I mean, there's a wedding. Come on, Grandma. I know. She can't go without her teeth. So they looked everywhere in the room and eventually in a shoebox, tucked into the back of the closet, tucked into the toes of her little baby grandma shoes were her dentures. That's just a dick thing to do, Michael. He's Come a on, fucking Michael. 17-year-old kid. Like, that's totally something. But, you know, it's hijinks. Yeah, it's that's hijinks. true. It's He's hijinks. Keeping himself. It's hijinks. It's just hijinks. It's a it's bit fun. of tomfoolery. It's a little banter. That's all right. <laughs> anyway. All of our Irish friends are really offended at I know. Sorry. Right Maybe Sorry, you guys, you Sorry, should Dave. listen and then talk about it. Okay. So <laughs> there's also a Dr. Ellis who worked at the, as the hotel doctor for a long time in the early days of the A hotel. real doctor. A real doctor. Oh, this was before the hotel. Finally. Yeah. He smoked a pipe and used cherry tobacco. Oh, I like cherry tobacco. Right. It smells so good. I was walking through the hotel before we went on the ghost tour. And as I'm walking through this hallway, I smelled what felt like this cherry smelling smoke blown into my face. Like, not like I could smell someone else smoking it, but like someone just actually blew it into my Seriously, face. Seriously, it was like... Yeah. And there was a window kind of to the side and I went and investigated it. There wasn't a balcony really off there. There was it was shut. It was locked. There was nowhere for that smoke to come from. And when we went through the tour, that's the exact same place that they said people smell smoke here all the time. And his office was right here. Yeah, like I've smelled that shit. It's crazy. Another reason not to smoke. You never know who whose face you're blowing it into. That's true. Yeah. Don't blow it in someone my face. From, someone from the future that you don't know is there. Ooh. Don't smoke. Um. So he's also been seen from the waist up. Torso. God damn it! I know, I know. No legs, no leggies. He's just floating around. He'll come off of the elevator and enter his old office, and people see that all the time too. Whoa. There's the top hat wearing man with mutton chops. He uh, oh, once so stylish one time, gentleman. Stylish, yes. One time a bellman saw him and followed him up the stairs. And the guy disappeared by the time he got up the stairs. When the bellhop turned to go back down the stairs, he felt someone push him from behind. Oh. And no one was there. It's then like, there don't is... don't fucking follow me, kid. Yeah, room 419. That's Theodora's room. She was probably someone very important to Norman Baker's staff. Probably a nurse, they think. Mm. Uh, they also think she was a cancer patient. Her room was very close to his suite, so she was had to have been special to him to be that close. Like I think he came out of his suite on the fifth floor, and she was right down the stairs from him. Okay. Like that was the first door, so she had to have been special to him. I like to think it's sexually because that's what I want to believe. Hashtag sex passion. <laughs> sex passion. <laughs> sex passion. Um, so, <laughs> so what uh, is seen with her is she's seen fumbling, fumbling for her keys in her purse, only to disappear. Or, when asked if she's okay, she'll reply, oh, I'm just looking for my keys. Ooh. Yeah, and then and then she disappears. She's a neatnik. She doesn't like messiness. She doesn't like rudeness. She has also been known to unpack married, or I mean, sorry, to repack unmarried couples' luggage if they're staying in her room. <laughs> so they'll be, they'll like check in, unpack, and head out, only to return to their bags being packed up and waiting at the door for them. So the bitch was totally fine helping out this guy. Right. Yeah, she can have a relationship Fleece with cancer him sexually. Patients, but it's like, whatever. I know. Maybe there was fine with killing but... people. Right. But not with people living well, in Well, she was sin. a nurse. So she... Mm -hmm. That a, just makes it more fucked up. That's true. And the fourth floor is where most of the nurses stay. But mm. you could see, like, some of them had their children with them and stuff like that. Um, oh. Interestingly, on the Ghost Hunter episode, um, they said they talked to her and she said that her task is there. She has to stay there to help the ghosts, the other ghosts, get to the other side. 
Mm. So she's there to help them. Um, and Well, and, she owes it to them. Right. Grant forgot his laptop in the room. He was staying in the room. He forgot his laptop and sent someone who worked for the show to go get it. And they had a really hard time getting in the room, even though they had a key. Um, and then when he finally got into the room, he went to where the laptop was supposed to be and it wasn't there. It was in a in his laptop bag by the door waiting to go out. And that's not where he had left it. Yeah. He had actually experienced closet doors opening and closing on him and the bathroom doors. Yeah. He, I think it's a suite now, maybe. I don't know. I'm guessing. <laughs> so after that, he moved rooms. He said it was for, like, the investigation, but the people at the hotel think he just got scared. <laughs> Which I think is fun. Um, <laughs> you're a fucking ghost? Yeah. You're, like, you're an investigator. Yeah, so... Hang out. Talk with her. A suite that is very active is Suite 3500. It is in the annex portion of the building. Mm, the screaming ward. Mm-hmm. The screamy death side of the Ugh. building. Yeah. A lot of people wake up around 3 to 3.30. Not because of cortisol, which we've talked about. Cortisol levels will wake you up between 3 and 5 in the morning. True. And make you panic about things that you're said wrong or could be doing better. <laughs> Life. Maybe that's me. I don't know. Me too. But I, I'm there. I'm there they'll wake up and hear a squeaky wheel in the hallway. And sometimes when they check. They will see a nurse pushing a gurney with a dead body on it down this hallway until she disappears into the wall. Yeah, and it's not just once. This is this is something that happens multiple times. Like the girl jumping off the roof. Mm -hmm. She also okay. So uh, there's also in the suite itself a bitch in white. Oh, hashtag bitches in white. white. So she's commonly seen. She shows up in pictures as well. There's a really good one on the website. Of a woman in a nightgown. Okay, come over here and I'll show you this picture. All right. I'm moving over. So there's a picture and you can kind of see this TV on the side and there's a woman, she's in red, but I think that's just to obscure her image. Right. But if you look in the TV, you see the reflection of a woman upside down in a white fucking nightgown. Oh, fuck. Like it just, <laughs> sorry, it just hit me. I was like, I don't see yeah, it. You kinda oh, fuck, have, I see it. Yeah. Oh. Oh, yeah. that's a bitch in white. It's a bitch oh. in white. It's a bitch fuck. in white. No. Yes. No. Yes. What the fuck is I that? I know. What so, the fuck is that? It's such a great picture. I'm going to put it on the Instagram. <laughs> it's really good, though. So, sorry, um, I know like, the, those other of you listening too, are like, like, just hearing me respond to it, but it's really fucked there's up. There's another one of a door, and you can see kind of the reflection on the stairs because it's as you go down the door. And in the reflection, there was nobody there but that person. You can see the picture of what looks like a fucking doctor. There's another one. Do you see it? Oh, oh, yeah. oh. Like, he even looks like he has on gloves and shit. Oh, yeah, no, I can see, like, yeah, yeah like, oh. And there's oh. another one, it's the same kind of angle, but it looks like there's a woman uh, facing the other way. I don't have that one pulled up, but I'll show it to you in a minute. Okay. Um, there, oh, is that the only two I have pulled up? Hold on. Oh, wait, there's this one. Okay, it's a picture, see. and you can see a very clear shadow of someone in the mirror. Oh, oh, fuck, no. Yeah. So I'll post these. I'll definitely post these. That's on creepy. That's like it's just a picture of a room, and you can see a shadow in the mirror. In the mirror, like, and there's like it's there's clearly. really no way for it to be reflected because it's also behind the pillows. Yeah, it's against the, the oh. headboard of the bed. It's very oh, strange and very clear. Well, it so. looks to be kind of obscuring the pillow just a little bit too. Right, not all of it, but just a little. That's fucked up. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so. Oh, okay. Back to my mic. <laughs> No more. No yeah. more. I'm so taking a sip of, of your mimosa now. Do it. Do it. One bride woke up 
to see this woman at the foot of her bed. And it kept happening until she finally moved rooms because she'd keep waking up and everybody was like, oh, it's your imagination. You're stressed out for the wedding. And she kept seeing this woman just stand at the foot of the bed looking at her in a white nightgown. Bitches and, she in was, white. bitches and white. So she left. Another bride had her yeah. wedding dress hanging up in the suite and saw it flutter a little bit before seeing a woman in a white nightgown <sighs> appear in front of her eyes mm. and then disappear. <sighs> yeah, there's all kinds of horror. How would you take that if that you stuff. were about to get married and you saw a vision of that kind in your hotel room or wherever the fuck you were? Like, would you take that as like a bad omen for the marriage? Not if I was at the Crescent. <laughs> You're like, this just <laughs> happens just all like, the this time. This is just the shit normal. that happens. Yeah. Okay. There's a three-year-old daughter of a of probably a nurse who died after falling over the fourth floor banister to her death. The nurses stayed on the fourth floor, like I said, and a blonde little girl has been reported in rooms on that area of the hotel at the foot of beds. Makeup in those rooms has been used out of closed purses. So hmm. women will wake up and find their purses that had been shut. Their makeup bag is out and makeup has been messed with. Mm. Uh huh. People will uh, sometimes on the ghost tours when they stop at that area and talk about her. People will feel tugging on their clothes, and apparently she has daddy issues of some sort Uh because men will feel a little hand grab their hand, only look down and see nobody's there. Oh. To which, by the way, Jack says, "Nope." Jack was out when I told him that. He's like, "Nope, nope, nope, nope." nope. So that's not where the wedding's going to (laughs) happen. No, I'll push him for it. I'll push him for it. We can all go. It'll be great. Uh, in more recent news, on June 11th, 2017, a 62-year-old man walked out of the fourth floor bar towards the stairwell and fell over those that stairwell and died just like that little girl did. Damn. Mm-hmm. When was this? 2016? 2017. 17. Last Damn. Year. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. Right. Ooh. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's I don't also, like the implications of that. I know. The story of Mary Breckenridge who stayed there. She was married to the principal of the school in the girls' college days. Mm-hmm. She, they had a little boy. His name was Brecky. He died there of complications of appendicitis when he was only four years old. Mm-hmm. She ended up getting a divorce and taking her maiden name back. She went to France, trained in midwifery, and started... That's <laughs> what it's called. It's midwifery. Midwifery. <laughs> and she started a midwife group called Frontier Nursing Service. It's estimated she saved thousands of lives through her services to people who had no access to doctors. So she would go up into the mountains with the people oh, wow. on her team, and they would find pregnant women and just stay with them until they gave birth and then come back. So she's a fucking hero. She's a hero. Yeah. She's on, like, some coin in Kentucky. I don't know. Wow. Kentucky, not Kentucky, Arkansas. I know my states. (laughs) She should be on several coins in several states. Right? Her son is said to haunt the hotel. People hear a ball bouncing. There's Mm. even a picture on the website of a ball that was not there in a picture right before then. And there was no ball anywhere around. Uh -uh. Uh -uh. Yeah, they'll hear a little boy saying it's not fair. Oh, that's I know. So sad. It is sad. A lot of kids who come to the hotel will bring a ball to get him to play with them. And there's one woman whose story uh, is that after she saw several of those kids pass her, there was a little boy come around the corner. He was in like a little blue velvet outfit and he was about four years old. And he asked her where the other kids had gone. She thought it was kind of a setup mm. to inspire the haunting stories and stuff like that yeah so she was like all right i'll go with him she 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 took him to where she had seen the other kids go Mm -hmm. up these stairs and so he thanked her and bowed for her and went up at the stairs and by when he got to the fifth step he disappeared in front of her eyes yeah 
What a polite boy. He's though. so polite. So polite. And they think when he's saying it's not fair, they think because he was known to really like to be outside and play outside a lot. Mm. And because he's trapped inside. He doesn't um, think it's fair. That's sad. Oh. Yeah. Forever. Oh, that's so yeah. sad. It is. It is. So then you have the morgue. The autopsy room is still there. Ugh. The meat locker that served as a meat locker when it was a hotel is still there, but it also served as the human meat locker Ugh. during the hospital days. You can just go in there and stand in the dark if you want. <laughs> I might. I know. You totally would. You totally would. <laughs> There's also the parts room. The parts room. Yeah, it's where they would take uh, the cancerous parts. They would do the autopsies and take the cancerous parts out of the patients and put them in in jars of formaldehyde and just store them all over the walls. Ugh. I know. Someone should have told him that's not what a cancer <laughs> it's ward not is. Good. That's the room where they caught the figure of the man standing. <sighs> right. That is the room where I saw the boxes of fluorescent lights on the floor stacked up on I... the floor and the lights in the top box turned on. Oh, that's they're not attached to anything. They're just in a fucking box. And all of a sudden they're turned on. And it happened twice. That's fucked up. Yeah. That's fucked up. That's fucked up. Down the hallway, my mom um, had a fan fall out of the wall onto her. It didn't, like a, like a rotary fan. Mm-hmm. Um, like a little bitty oscillating fan that you would keep to keep air flowing. Yeah, yeah. It's, there are these little coves in the wall and it fell out of the wall onto her. Ooh. Now, my mom's story is that it flew out on her in aggressive attack. <laughs> called oh, her names. Called her names. Told her she was wrong. and She hates that. So, <laughs> But it did fall. I saw it fall, and there was no reason for it to randomly fall. Like, it was set back in there. It's, mm. it's interesting. It was strange. Mm. Um, it's not a fan. <laughs> Jean-Luc actually laid on one of the autopsy tables. Oh. Yeah. Oh. They were like, do you want to? And he was like, yeah. yeah. It wasn't like nothing happened. It. But it was creepy. It was really it. creepy. Yeah, we were all creeped out by it. Um, we had some picture stuff happen. There was a bright, like, yellow blob between, like, on a sofa between two of us. Mm. Which we have no idea where that came from. Um, there are a lot of photos that are taken of the same sofas in the lobby mm-hmm. uh, that have missed in that same spot. Mm. It's interesting. Um, at all types of the day, not just one um so we also i think on that first tour because i've seen some of the other tours they're on youtube if you want to watch there are some of them that are all the way through you have to tolerate the people filming it but (laughs) (laughs) if you can do that you'll be fine yeah just maybe put it on mute yeah turn your turn your phones on silent man like maybe when someone's saying does anyone have any questions for the ghost asks during that time, not when she's started telling another story. I'm just saying. I'm yeah. just saying. It's, if you're going to um, film a ghost tour that you're on, be respectful. Don't yeah, like. Right. Don't fuck it up. It's like twenty five dollars too. Go on this ghost tour if you can. Go. It's it's fantastic. I go. I it's either go that right or like the Christ of the Ozarks tour, which is like fifty bucks. So definitely go on the ghost tour. It's way more fun. I'm <laughs> <laughs> less guilt ridden. So, um, the so when I went on the tour, he also t- they talked about this bellhop. That they ran into this because he was a medium, so he could see the spirits and talk to them and all of this stuff. Right, right, right. And he said that there was a spirit of a bellhop that was there who was terrified because he was working in a haunted hotel. And he was from the 1970s. Oh, Inception. I know. They had to communicate to him that he was not. you are one of the hauntings. You are one of the hauntings. You're just seeing hauntings from the past. Somehow I feel like that's not going to help him. It did, though. He ended up apparently crossing over after that. Oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah. And then... They also said that there's a man on the autopsy table who thinks he's still in surgery. And no matter what they do, they haven't been able to get through to him. Yeah. 
Um, the denial is strong. Yeah, very strong. Damn. There's also stories of Norman Baker haunting his old suite and other areas. I hope that motherfucker Fuck is trapped that there. And- yeah, he creeps people out. Um, they see him. They know it's him because he's wearing that white suit and the lavender tie and mm-hmm. purple suspenders. Um, one of the creepiest things for me was when Jean-Luc and I... Jean-Luc is my brother, for people who don't know. <laughs> oh, yeah. Important when Jean-Luc detail. and I were watched a little girl... Uh, we were doing a tour right in front of the spa and we were down at the bottom of the stairs and they went up and there was a little landing and there was this little girl kind of looking at the landing and giggling and laughing. And then finally she started waving like someone like waving to something or someone. And there was not a fucking thing there. Ooh. That was, the, I don't know why, because children are terrifying. That's but creepy. That, and that they was are. the creepiest They thing. really are. Yeah. Uh, one of the most famous hauntings, and this is the last one. One of the most famous hauntings in the Crescent Hotel and Spa is of the hotel general manager who lived and died at the hotel. He was born in 1973 and died in 1994. Okay, not very old. Well, he was and is still known as Morris the Cat. Oh, he was an orange tabby. And oh, that's a, a good old age for a cat, uh-huh, right? He was great. <laughs> was like, he did great. Not a good he age did for fantastic. A uh, he was named after the cat in the Nine Lives ad, and he was very Aww. clever and very adored. He had his own little kitty cat door to come in and out as he pleased. People saw him all the time. He was known in the town, like he was just a very beloved cat. In the lobby of the Crescent Hotel and Spa, there is still a portrait of him with a little <laughs> memorial plaque and a poem. Aww. About cats, I think is what it is. Oh, He's buried Morris. in the back of the hotel in a flower bed just beyond the veranda. Veranda. He's been seen heading around a corner only to disappear when followed. People have felt a cat brush by their legs and even jump into their laps. Oh, that's a sweet haunting. I know, that's the good haunting. It's a little so, kitty that just wants to be like, hey guys. Yeah. Uh, also, what an old cat too, my God. I know, very old. So... Um, another small little fact is that there's a lot of limestone in the area, which is known to mm-hmm. increase things. But that is the story of the wow. Crescent Hotel and Spa in Eureka Springs, Arkansas. Wow. I want to go. I want to go so bad. It'd now. be so much fun. Yeah. It would be so much fun. You know, last I heard, we should oh, we should go. Uh, I think last I heard, the uh, Lallery Mansion has been turned again into apartments, luxury apartments, Ooh. I think. I wonder if you can Airbnb that shit. I bet you can. Let's not let's, do do it not do, do i don't it, know we'll see. <laughs> thank you guys again for listening we've had this such is so a great cool i love all it. the stuff i get to learn i know yeah. i know um we will be uh this wednesday at 8 p.m central mm-hmm. we will be on twitch um you can find us there at ghoul intentions and watch us uh or communicate on our chat we answer uh, questions and chit chat a little bit about this episode yep something to keep in mind as well on saturday december 1st will be our very first live show it's in louisville kentucky (laughs) at uh, louisville supercon i think the tickets for the day are 35 dollars you can buy tickets online um just go to louisville supercon and it's a great con it's a great convention there's a lot of people there it's really fun even if you like there's there will be far more to do than just come and see us our uh our show is not until 10 15 p.m Mm -hmm. so you have plenty of time to uh check that out um check the convention out during the yeah. day and then come come play at the panel Please or the do. show um so <laughs> uh so we excited. also 
are going to do our very best to get that panel on our Twitch yes. as well. Yes. So stay tuned for Maybe more hard until that. we kind of know what the Wi-Fi situation is like, yeah. where we're going to do. We don't know yet. We're going to try really hard, though. Yeah. We're really gonna, really we are going to try our damnedest. That's right. We're making an effort. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, of course, you can go to ghoulintentions.com for links to our social media sites and our blog and... Um, one day when I actually start writing more of it. <laughs> it's, it's whatever. We're so busy doing research. Um, I mean, there are five blog entries now. You can read and enjoy those for now. That's right. Uh, and then I'm just going to let them accumulate until there's like a thousand. That's and then due, it's no and longer then I'll a just thing. Write. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? We're testing waters. We're trying yeah, we're to see waters. how this goes. Yeah. We're finding um, it. Yeah, we're still, we're still finding our, our, our MO. So, uh, but more importantly, you can go to those sites. You can go to the site to submit your own personal account for consideration mm-hmm. to be read uh, as our cold opener on a future episode of GoalIntentions.com. Yeah. Uh, so now it's my turn to do this, the quote. Um, I'm, I'm really excited about right. whatever this one is. I just feel like we're so simpatico today with our stories. I know. And I feel we'll see very. If you get com- it. I don't know. Well I, well, I should know better. I should know better than to be confident, but I'm cautiously optimistic that okay I'm all right good this is another one from susan so there's no telling what it is from my mom <laughs> susan. i know she ca- she calls me randomly she's like i have a quote i'm There's like mom quote. i'm driving i can't write it down and she'll like she'll think of it or she'll watch it or she'll see it and then she'll write it down like on an envelope and then she's like i have a quote let me find it and then she has to go find the envelope that she really it's funny like, it's just going to be like somebody like at the store said to her yesterday and i'm like how the fuck would i know <laughs> <laughs> Right. <laughs> like, that's not fair. That was Sharon. That's not fair. And the Kroger. Um, that's not what my oh. mom sounds like. But <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> so, okay, here it is. Here it is. Okay, hit me. Planet Earth, home to over six billion people. Today, our very existence is threatened by epidemics, climate change, and dwindling resources. But those are the least of our problems. God damn it. I don't know. I don't it sounds familiar and again like with all of these I'm gonna know what it is the minute you tell me but I don't I cannot think of it right now it is the beginning the very beginning of a film say it again give me the quote one more time planet earth home to over 6 billion people today our very existence is threatened by epidemics climate change and dwindling resources but those are the least of our problems I'm gonna, I'm gonna make an educated guess uh-huh. and say idiocracy. No. no, I thought it was Hitchhiker's Guide. It sounded very Hitchhiker's Guide. Yeah, too. that that's a good guess yeah. too. What is it from? Zombieland. I've never seen Zombieland. Oh, well, that's so why I don't you feel know. quite so bad. Well, you're gonna recognize it. Now I will. I'll be like, that's mm-hmm. the quote. Zombieland gave us. Yay, mom. <laughs> Truth be told, I don't know if she's seen Zombieland. <laughs> <laughs> it's she's great a, though. Wow, she's I can't really... watch zombie movies because they give me nightmares. Yeah. But I can watch Zombieland. I don't. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't give me nightmares. Yeah, but yeah. a lot of them do. It's more of a comedy, so maybe maybe that's, that's why. what it is. I just need to laugh. <laughs> I can do anything scary if there's a laugh and fall. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, thank you guys again so much. Appreciate you. Uh huh. And remember, it's, it's okay, okay to, to sleep, sleep with, with the, the lights, lights on. on.